Hey, what's up, folks? Welcome to another week. This is the Live Life Wrestling Show. Sincere Hogan, that's me, guys. Mike Ball on the other side. Hey, man, today is a good day. Come on, I've been waiting for this for a while. And this is going to be, with our guest today, man, it's going to be a treat for everyone to, to get to hear this guy live, man, on the show. Lots of good stuff. Sincere, sincere is exaggerating because he never heard of this guy until last week when I told him about him. But that's a cool guy. First of all, first of all, that intro, that music, that intro that you guys just heard for the show right there, you've asked for the last three years. Man, what's that song that's always starting you guys' show? Who did that? Well, today, not only do you get the answer to that, you get to actually hear from the man himself, man. So this is going to be Well, dude, be pretty don't, dope. don't say that, man. I never paid Harley for that music. Now he knows that we're using his music for the show. <laughs> Harley. Actually, you're. You're paying full, man. You're paying full. Yeah, we're gonna talk about that. I intro, dude. I thought, are you lying to me? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're gonna talk to you. It's a, it's a real pleasure to be here on the show, man. Thanks for having me. No, it's a real pleasure to have you because it's funny. I was thinking, I haven't talked to you in a long time, but I've known you for a long time, and I was thinking about how much of an influence you've had on me on so many levels. Just categorically, you've influenced me a great deal. And I was thinking about that this morning. There's a few people in my life that have had a profound influence on me, and you're definitely one of them, and arguably one of the most influential people, if not the most. And I'll say that, I'll explain that a couple of ways. I mean, one, I got into vegetarianism and then eventually a vegan diet, and the impetus for that was you, because I was on a plane ride to Kenya with my parents, and I'm reading this interview with you in RIP Magazine. And you're talking about why you adopted a vegetarian diet, how you can't be peaceful as long as you're eating a steak because that animal died in agonizing pain. And as a kid who always loved animals, I never made that connection. Just like a lot of people, a lot of people say they love animals and then they take care of their dogs and they eat steak at the same time. And they just don't make the connection. There's a disconnect there. So that one really hit home to me and it it gave me some food for thought. And my mother was a vegetarian as well. So I already had an example of what to follow. And it kind of made me think about why she does what she does. She never really vocalized it much, but it made me ponder that a little bit more. And then when we got to Kenya, we went to Masimara Game Park and we saw all these incredible animals in their natural habitat, not in the zoo, you know, not in some kind of fake sanctuary somewhere in America, but in their natural habitat. And some people will say, well, shit, you know, you probably saw lions killing gazelles. Why would that make you, you know, want to, want to stop eating meat? And it, it was more realizing that this is where animals should be living. And when you kill them, you're taking this away from them. So it was just that was the second thing that on this trip that made me think about. It. And then the third thing, oddly enough, and some people will find this kind of funny, but I remember seeing a movie when I got back from that trip, The Fly 2, which was one of those mostly forgettable '80s movies. It wasn't like an exceptional movie, you know. But it had a scene in there where a golden retriever gets mutilated in an animal experiment. And I had a golden retriever at that time. That was our family dog. So that made me think about what happens to animals in research. So it was it was this trifecta of events that made me give up meat when I was 15. You playing a big role in that. And I never ate meat again. I mean, I ate fish for a while then, and then I phased that out when I was 18. And then I and then from 18 on, I never ate meat again, vegan around 21. I'm 43 now. So a lot of that started with you. And that wasn't the only thing you influenced me on. I really got into working out also because of seeing you and John on stage because I would go to these shows, this skinny kid from the suburbs, never worked out of my life, 15, 16. And then I would see you guys on stage, and you were just larger than life. You especially, Harley, you're just ripped to the bone. I mean, that's 
and now that I know you, I know it's genetics, <laughs> not because you follow great diet or workout program, but it, but at that time there were all these myths about you, right? They're like, man, I bet Harley can bench press four hundred pounds. I bet <laughs> that's the biggest badass ever. And we're looking you up on stage with veins coming out of your arms. You got that Doctor Seuss face. We're like, this is the biggest badass ever. <laughs> and then I meet you in person. I'm like, shit, this guy's five five. I could pick him up and throw him like a football. <laughs> all right, I'm about five six and a half. Give me an inch or two there, come on, Hey, you know what, man? That got, I, I got, I just I got, got into working out as a result of – it's funny because I really got into working out as a result of your influence then. And then years later, I got you into kettlebell training, which is really funny. So yeah, that man. really came – No, you, you wound up being an influence on me in, in a lot of the same ways, you know. But, um, you know, let me just start by saying, first of all, that, you know, that is, you know, the greatest reward of all, you know, having – been a positive influence on people just through, you know, through my actions and, uh, you know, it made a lot, it made it worth it. You know, if there, if there was, you know, everything I did was really just, you know, part of my life. But the fact that, that I did have a positive influence on people, on some people at certain points in my life is, is a great thing. And, and look, look at where you took it to. I mean, you took it to, to a whole nother level. And, um, so I'm I'm honored to have been a, a part of uh, of uh, you know that process. You know, it's really beautiful. Yeah, and you know thing. what's funny? It's very rewarding. No, it's, it's, I'm grateful too. What's funny though is you've taught me in some ways what to do, but also what not to do. <laughs> and that's also well, yeah, you know, I'm not going. Yeah, no, I'm not going in. The, I'm not going in the cliche direction that you may think. Which would be like, oh, you know, don't go, don't get into street fights and don't get, get into competition. I'm not going there. Where I'm going is that you guys were so young when the Chromex blew up, right? You guys were teenagers essentially, yeah. and as a result, you weren't privy to contracts and corporate worlds and all of that. Yeah, so as we a made result, a lot of you mistakes. Were, you were taking advantage yeah. of. No, but the thing yeah. is, you guys never. You guys were so young, you didn't understand business, so you never controlled distribution, and as a result, you guys never made any money, which is. Crazy to think about. You put out yeah. the seminal yeah, hardcore huh. album, Age of Quarrel. You guys never made a dime off of it. You never made much off anything else after that. So when I got into the fitness business, I realized that I need to take charge of every component of business. I need to produce my own material. I need to distribute it. I need to learn how to market myself. I need well, to take you, charge you, of you, all You kind of took the uh, Ian McKay route, which is a great thing. Exactly. You know, to own your own product and to work it yourself and be in control of it and uh i really respect that you know i respect it a lot I, I respected ian for that and i respect you for that you know unfortunately i wasn't in a situation where i really was able to do that you know i didn't have the finances or the backing of any sort to to manufacture product never mind distribute it you know i you know i didn't have access yeah. to the resources but you know uh, that's definitely a great way to go, you know. I mean, well, it's different skill sets, right? Like I look at you as the creative force in the Chromex, and even still, now your your book is a great read, Hardcore Life of My Own. It's I mean, even for someone who's not interested in the Chromex whatsoever. Like when I first started reading the book, I of course skipped to the part where you start talking about the Chromex, 
because uh, I was reading the first chapter, then I was like, I don't give a fuck about his life in Denmark. Who cares? You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I skipped ahead to the Kronik, but what's funny is that stuff was so interesting, it made me go back and read the first several chapters, which were also really interesting. And then I found, as I told you, I found the ending where you talked about your mother, because my mother passed too last year. I found that extremely touching. I thought that was a great way to end the book. So it's, it's an extremely yeah. well-written book, but it, it comes from a place well, of extreme authenticity is what I get from it. That's why I think even someone who's not necessarily a fan of your music would really enjoy it. And you really painted this visceral picture of what it was like growing up in New York City. And one thing, like I was telling Sincere this, I go, I go, Harley has this comfort with violence that is unparalleled. And I don't mean that you seek it or that you enjoy it or that you create it, but you have experienced so much violence in your life starting at such a young age that it doesn't phase you the way it would the average person. I mean, the average person I know, yeah. let's say out here in suburbs in Vegas, if they get into a verbal confrontation, their blood pressure is going to go through the roof. If someone puts yeah, their they're, hands they're on shook them, for a week, you know? <laughs> like, right. you're the kind of guy, you get jumped, and you're like, well, I got jumped, and I almost got killed, and I, I managed to fight my way out of it. And then you go write a great album. <laughs> you write several songs. Well, you got to use that inspiration for something, right? You know, so. <laughs> but you, you, don't, you don't need counseling or, you know, like, a, you don't or have, a like, as a result of well, the video. Well, fortunately. Or you to find a safe place, you know. Come on, safe space you okay. need now. <laughs> well, fortunately, you know, I have music as an outlet and jujitsu, you know, because. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm not alone in, in the lifestyle that I lived. I mean, I have a lot of friends who had very, very similar experiences to me, except for maybe the, uh, the, the, the mag factor, like, you know, being in a band, you know, being in a, you know, the admiration of, of, of people and stuff like that. But I mean, so that was a little bit unique as far as combined with the other elements, you know, because I knew a lot of people who, you know, came from real rough backgrounds, real poor families, and had a lot of uh, struggles in the streets, whether it was fighting and drugs and this and that, you know. So, I mean, my story is not so unique in that way. But then you combine the Chromag uh, stimulators and musical aspect into it, and, and then it starts to really get, um, yeah, interesting. <laughs> I think your music was an outlet for a lot of us too, because growing up as a teenager, yeah, I, you know, I, I anger issues for a lot of reasons. Yeah, things that happened to me as a child that I wasn't aware of until I got into my twenties and then that total recall. But you, I had a lot of this anger, and if you don't have a positive it's place for it to go, really such dope. as martial yeah. arts, going yeah. to a Chromex show, working out, then yeah. it starts becoming no, I agree, man. It's self destructive. You start drinking, you start doing drugs, you start doing reckless shit. Yeah, and so again, you know, I've, I've been, you know, fortunate, and uh, you know, I, I use the word blessed uh, lightly, I guess, but but like I've really been blessed in that way that I was able to give other people a way to to vent, you know. You know, that's the average really, person is really not going to reach. The average person is not going to read your book and say you're blessed. <laughs> you know, they're going to well, say, you know "Man, what? I got with you." It's, it's really all how you how you take it in. You know, I mean, the experiences yeah, right, I right. went through made me who I am, and and you know, I'm starting to even appreciate the the worst things that I've been through because I've learned a lot from it. 
you know? Yeah, that's, and, how, um, that's how you grow, man. That's how you grow. Yeah, like you know, you if you don't have those struggles, then you'll never grow, yeah. man. Otherwise, yeah, you'll but, always but feel these, these, these are struggles. These are struggles where he could have been dead many times. These aren't struggles where these are life and death struggles multiple times throughout your life. And what's interesting but is honestly, that you've been through, you know so, many, you know, you've been through so many horrendous are, things. It's made you such a great father. Those are not really as intense, though, I think, as the emotional struggles. Sure. You know what I'm sure. saying? Because physical confrontation, physical violence and stuff like that, it's it's physical, you know. It it comes to an end. Emotional struggles, that's the that's the stuff that really lingers. You know? What's what's, and, a, um, what's an what's an example of that in your life? Well, you know, never having known my father became a real issue for me without me really yeah. being aware of it. You know, like it wasn't like an issue in the forefront of my brain, but it was, uh, it affected me in my psyche, you know, feeling, um, not worthy, you know, like I wasn't, uh, worth getting your shit together for. Yeah. And uh, it's always that it's always that hole, man. You, you, it's always this missing spot, no matter what. Yeah. Because you know, mine, you know, mine. I only saw mine like a couple of times growing up, man. And then you know he was murdered, and you know I was raised by my grandparents, so you know for, yeah, for years I, I was also I was always thankful, like you know what? I'm glad they took me on, that they took me from birth and yeah, man. You know, dude, my grandmother, shit. my grandmother's my soul, dude. Like she, yeah, she took man. care of me through. If it wasn't for her, you know, God knows, you know, because um. But, yeah, no, I but then, feel you. But then once I got kids, man, I started, you know, then it, the, yeah. then those demons start coming back to me about, you know, well, that's now that I'm a father, too, man. You, yeah. yeah, you start thinking like, we're, you know, damn, dude, I'm here with my kids and doing my thing. Like, why can my dad, you know, stepped up? So I feel you on that. It's like you always have this hole, no matter what, man. You always feel incomplete. And, and, I, and I think that that yeah, everybody has to, has to confront that on, in some place, you know, yeah. in their life, and and that's where. Me and you are dealing with it is is a fairly common problem, unfortunately. But yeah, it's rough, you know. Exactly. So you know, you kind of always have this. You always kind of have these abandonment issues. But you know, you can take it like it becomes perspective. So now yeah. that this happened, it's nothing you can do about to change that. But what are you going to do about it? It's all about how you're going to respond to that. So yeah. are you going to be yeah, yeah, yeah. are you going to be the dick that goes around knocking up well, a bunch of women, having a bunch of kids everywhere, and never taking care of them? Or well, both both of you guys hard? are. Exceptional fathers is what I can say of both you and that's all I'm saying. Harley, you're a great father. I do my best under the circumstances. You know, it's like like right. like so many other uh, people, the relationship with my kid's mother did not work out. You know, and but I still managed to. Uh, you know, I did raise them like pretty much. I, I was their full time. Uh, you know. I was taking care of them, taking them to school, everything, you know, taking them to jiu-jitsu, doing their homework, feeding them and everything and for the most of their lives. So they were like 10, 11. So I did, I'm always grateful for that time that I had with them. Like that, that time was crucial, you know, and then. Well, why, do you, why do you think, why do you think things didn't work out with their mother? Well, you know, because, you know, humans, you know, have issues, you know, I mean, it's like. <laughs> I may not be the perfect dude, but she definitely had a lot of baggage of her own. And, right, you know, right, I right. think that people have kids, you know, without really taking into consideration the the 
responsibility. You know, I mean, everything yeah. people do. I mean, people just go out and fuck without thinking about the consequences. And then right. what happens? You know, you wind up knocking someone up who winds up really not being the person that you should have made a family with. Well, one thing, one thing you, you know, me or, or you go out and you get fucking... HIV or some other shit, you know? So it's like, you know, everything people do, people do it like it's nothing. You know, people go out and get high like it's nothing. People drive recklessly like it's nothing. People fucking text on their phone while they're driving. It's that, it's that pleasure, like it's man. Nothing. That instant gratification. Instant gratification is You, you know, it's, it's terrible. It's like, it. people, yeah, you know, so people, you know, wind up paying the cost of that. And, and sadly... Yeah. In families that fall apart, it's really the, the kids that pay the cost more than anybody. And um, so, again, you know, that's something else that, that, that's been, a, you know, a, a cross that I've had to bear and have learned how to carry and, and try to take something positive from. You know, being a father was the greatest joy I had. It was like I got to, in a way, I was getting to have the childhood vicariously through right. them that I didn't have, right. you know, and, and getting to be the father that I had wished I might have had. And so in a lot of ways, it was like healing for me. But then now that I got stripped from, from that, in a sense, and I only get to see them uh, on every other weekend, like I have so many fathers mm -hmm. I know. And, uh, you know, you, it hurts to not be able to be there and guide them through all the, the, the bumps in the road that I know are coming, you know, as you enter your teenage years and, and just be able to really, you know, talk sense, share my knowledge because, because I've had a lot of experiences. So I have a lot of knowledge, you know, I know what yeah. comes from what. And so that's painful, you know, but, but so what, what can you do? You know, you just do the best you can. You, you try to, make the biggest impact you can when you're with them. Exactly. Well, you make, you make the, yeah, exactly. You make the time you have count when you have. Yeah. And, and, you, and you really, and you focus on, on being a, there for their future. You know, right now my goal is to make sure that I can provide them with what they will need when it's their turn to be out in the world on their own and be men so that they can have a, a leg up that I didn't have. Like, okay, now you're going to go to college, motherfucker. You're not going to go and like run around on the streets. You know, now you're out of college. Now, you know, you have these different options ahead of you. You know, I'm going to make sure that these kids have at least options. That's as a parent. That's mm, the biggest is, yeah. responsibility is. Well, that's one thing you emphasize in your book is the importance of having as many options as possible. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's huge. It's huge. And that's, I think, the thing that people have to really teach kids is, look, man, while you're young, that's the only time in life that shit's given to you. Yeah. Your, your education yeah. is free. Your fucking food is food free. Is free. <laughs> your <laughs> rent is clothing. fucking free. <laughs> motherfucker, and you want to be out there fucking smoking joints in the hallway with your stupid friends, motherfucker? Like, you know, yeah. You yeah. know, like, look, I, I told my son, I said, man, look, you know, you're going to go out and, and you're going to get high and drink and do all that other shit. But guess what? You know, you're still a kid and you're your brain is still developing. So scientifically, <laughs> that, this isn't even your father talking. This is science. Like, right. don't fucking start stunting your own development, your own growth before you've even grown. You know, yeah. grow. Be a man. Be a child now. Be a kid. Enjoy being a kid, and, and learn as much as you can. And 
be active in, in all the shit in school and pursue different sports and try to get scholarships and all that good shit. Yeah. Yeah. I always, I always, I always joke with Mike. Like one of the biggest thing, one of the biggest things I did with my son, you know, right there before, it's not even the teen years anymore. It's always those quote unquote tween years, somewhere between like nine and twelve. It's like where they really start ramping up the the wannabe testosterone and just think they're really running stuff, and you know, they try to be a badass. So one of the things I did, yeah, with my yeah, son, yeah. right around the time of that age. Oz was very popular. So I would sit him and make him watch those episodes of Oz. I'm like, oh, you're a badass? All right, let me show you what happens to badass. I said, now, this right here, this, I said, this is just TV. This is acting, and this is very realistic. So in real life, multiply this times 1,000 times. I said, see that dude getting – I said, that's called rape. Let me tell you something. Okay? You, know, you, know, you, know how many, you know how many times I thought about bringing my son on fucking oh, kids, do it. <laughs> but you know what? I'd be like, all right, son, now, you know – your boy Shay Shay, you might he might think he's a badass, you know. You you guys might think he's tough in, in, in high school, but guess what? <laughs> nah, you know what? It, it, all we could really do is do our best, and you know my responsibility is to is to you know my responsibility to them is to to provide as best as I can. But really, you can't do that until you get your your own head straight, you know. So got to look out for yourself. You know, they say, people say you got to learn how to love yourself before you can love anyone else. And it sounds fucking stupid, but it's really true though. Like you, you got to like, no, gotta fend, you got to fend for yourself where you can't fend for nobody else. You're worthless. I mean, you, can, you can fucking get on up on your own feet, you know, yeah, otherwise you're just dead weight, fucking breathing air and, and taking shits, you know, you know, yeah, you're not right. putting yeah. nothing good out. And, uh, anyway, man, you know, my kids were really the greatest thing at, you know, happened to me, and then you know, meeting my who who I wound up marrying. You know, it's like I man, you know, Mike's known me for a while, and and I tell you, man, I'm a my life has been fucked up. It's been chaotic like a motherfucker, but somehow I I managed to land on my feet. You know, time and time fucking again. And I'll tell you though, them, them kids really uh, that changed me big time. You know that that's what caused me to to say, all right, the party's over. Now it's time to be to man up. You know. Well, I mean, two things really stick out with your life. One, it's amazing that you're still alive. Two, it's amazing that you're such a great father because I think a lot of people who went through similar experiences could have gone in a much more negative route, a much yeah. more self-destructive route. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. You know, I I, I like to think. I, you know, I often give the human race more credit than it deserves. But I like to think that when people have kids, they, they try to step up their game. But, but sadly you look around and and it's obviously not the case. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. Like a lot. I mean, I've seen, I've seen some people take the direction that you've taken where they have kids and all of a sudden they do a total 180. And I've seen others where they're just the same dipshit that they were before they have kids. And now or they're that worse. It's, it's, it's scary. It was, well, it's, it's scary how it's scary that sometimes I see some of these people. I'm like, man, you're the role model for your kids. That's scary, right there. Yeah, that shit is. That, oh, dude, some of the shit I see, man, riding the subways in the city here, it's just like you know, you see just some ghetto ass mom just like talking crazy shit and cursing out of their mouth and just acting like, yeah, like like they're still yeah. like junior high school big mouths, like fucking, blah, 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 blah. and they're sitting there with well, their on, three, on the flip with their side, three though, kids. On the, who are all acting just like their mother, and you're just like, oh, God. Well, like, well on the flip side, man, here in the suburbs, 
No, I see here kids in the suburbs. I mean, I see parents in the suburbs, though, who never discipline their kids when they need to be fucking disciplined, where they're always negotiating with their kids. Like, hey, Sally, if you stop yeah, whining, no, I'll buy you ice cream. Believe it, yeah. And they, and they need to be checked. Like, I grew up in the suburbs, and I have a very educated – both of my parents are extremely educated, but my dad wasn't a pushover. If, if you acted a fool, he would check you. He wouldn't put up with that bullshit. And he also – he was also very instrumental when I was in my 20s. And your brain is not fully developed. Then, like Sincere said, you're you're an adult legally, but mentally you're still but a fucking you're still idiot. Far from grown. <laughs> no, you're a fucking moron. You don't. You just. You, and yeah. Remember, I was thinking about like halfway through college, I was thinking, I was like, oh, you know, I'm not really feeling this. Maybe I just need to take some time off and and go work on some shit. And my dad just cut me off mid sentence. He's like, don't be a fucking idiot. <laughs> he's like, he's like, you're not qualified to do jack shit. What are you gonna do? Go work at Tower Records? He's like, just finish your degree, then you can go find yourself like every other dipshit who graduates from liberal arts. You know? yeah, and, yeah. and he was, and he was right. And honestly, I, I honestly, unconsciously, I, that's what I wanted to hear. Like I wanted him to say that. And it reminds me of what Ronald Reagan said one time about this one young lady who. Was in, she had peer pressure to go to this party where she knew it was going to be up to no good, but she didn't want to say no because of the peer pressure. So she asked her mom for permission, and she was hoping her mom would say, you can't go. But her mom's like, no, go ahead. Have a good time. And then so, so like Ronald Reagan made the point of saying a lot of, a lot of kids are looking for their parents to create boundaries for them, whether they vocalize it or not. And honestly, I don't have kids, but I've got four dogs, and it's, it's somewhat similar. Like I'm taking – we have a puppy right now, and again, if you just let her do whatever she wants, she's going to tear up the whole fucking house. But if you, no, create, you boundaries, create boundaries, if you create boundaries, she wants you to create boundaries because she's very smart, she's very attentive, and she learns quickly when you actually create boundaries, what you can do, what you can't do. She's extremely malleable at this stage in her life. And I think kids are similar, even kids up into their teens and early 20s. They need someone to step in and say, no, 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 that's stupid. Well, Here's basically, it comes down to this. All those little beings just really want to know that you give a fuck. That's all it really yeah. comes down to, man. They want to know that you actually give a damn about them and their safety and yeah. that you actually love them because, yeah, they may not like it when it happens then, but at least they know, like, you know what? If he wasn't paying attention to me, he wouldn't give a damn. So at least he's yeah. paying attention. So, and that's the reason yeah. why kids do a lot of crazy shit, even dogs, because they're trying to get your attention. They want to, get they want to know that you give a damn. That's like, look, motherfucker, I'm going to up your shoes. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> it's like, I don't, I don't just shit on the floor because I like it. I actually like shitting on the grass. I don't want to shit on this floor because I, I live here. But you're not paying attention to me, so I'm going to take a shit and piss yep. until you say, "What the hell are you doing?" And, and, <laughs> and that's and a kid or a dog. Yeah, no, because you're right. Because a lot of times, I, I think also kids are just testing the boundaries of how far they could go, and they'll be exactly. willing to. They're willing to stop at whatever degree of of whatever it is that's going on. But they're going to and keep that's, pushing and that boundary until you actually say, all right, this is enough. But you could have yeah. said that that many right. st steps earlier, you know. So, right. Well, so, well yeah, you know what's sad is going off on a, what's sad going off on a tangent here is that there are a lot of grown men, and I use that word lightly, who have <laughs> domineering wives. So these are pussy whip motherfuckers who are looking for their significant others to create those boundaries because these dipshits never grew up. It's like, hey man, oh, you want to go do this on Friday? Well, let me talk about, let me talk to my wife. It's like, why the fuck do you need to talk to her? I'm asking you. If because you their go mother's do this not around. Friday. That's why. <laughs> their mom's not around anymore. What do you have to talk to her about? You just, you just tell her what you're going to be doing or not doing. You don't ask her what the fuck you can do. And it's amazing how common. I got to just say, hold on. I don't want to be the, the pussy whip guy in the fucking conversation here. But 
you know. Well, you have a history of it. To, so to, to okay. be fair, I mean, I've been I've been with a lot of crazy psychotic bitches in my life, okay. And, but to be fair, now that I have found someone that really is is my significant other, you know, the person that that fills in the missing parts of me, you know what? It's I just it's about consideration, you know. It's not even it to me. It's just like you know. I'll ask her. I'm gonna. Are we doing anything? Because I'm like I'm gonna go do this, and she's always cool with what I go do. But you know what? It, when you're part of a team, you gotta you know you gotta you gotta be part of a team. You can't ride solo no more. And and I feel like I'm part of a team, you know. So. You know, I hope that don't make me sound like a total bitch, but, you know, at the end of no, at the end There's one thing with checking the schedule and checking the calendar, like, hey, we're good, nothing's going on, okay, we're cool, compared to, can I please go out and hang out with the boys and go to the is bar? Is it all right if I go, yeah, no, yeah, no, you know what I'm saying, exactly. <laughs> That's but to be honest, though, too, but to be honest, though, at this point in my life, there's really very little I give a fuck about going out yeah, to do. Yeah, you're like you like know, me. Dude. It's like I'd rather you know, bro. Day. You know, I've been to the fucking bar. I've done it all. You know, man. I, I, yeah, I've been to the fucking bar. What, what, what the fuck could possibly happen that could be <laughs> any <laughs> different? I don't need to go in to fact, the bar. Got, you know, in fact, most of the things that could potentially happen, I don't want to be around. Exactly. You know? <laughs> so fuck it. I get, I get, I get all of that. No, you I get know. all of that, but you don't have to go to the bar where Tank Abbott is hanging out and getting the fights. So there's <laughs> no, a big but difference you know, between you that. Know, but unfortunately, and doing, you doing never know what bar Tank Abbott's going to walk into, though. <laughs> no, but what I'm saying is you don't, you don't want to be that guy, though, who doesn't nah, do nah, anything. I, I agree, man. That, that's, that's how you age. That's, that's what puts you into a rapidly aging state. Like a lot of people I know my age, they don't do jack shit. They sit at home and fucking eating popcorn, watching movies all night, every day. That's boring as shit, man. You got to get out and go do man, shit, man. Well, it doesn't have to be just you, but you and your wife, you and your wife, you and your no, you and your wife, you and your girlfriend. You guys need to go out and go have fun and still be attractive to each other. You still put put yourself together and go do some fun shit like you did when you were first dating. So many couples, what happens is they're having a blast when they first meet, and then they get settled, and then they both get overweight, and then they never go out. And now going to the movie is a big deal. <laughs> you know, well, I'll tell you, man. Me and my, me and my wife met each other under very unusual circumstances. Um, like, she met me not long before all that Webster Hall shit went down. She actually interviewed me for a, a website that she has uh, called New York Natives. And uh, they did a story on me. It was like a New York Native icon story or whatever. So, and... um during the interview, I, uh, at some point, I told her I was working on a book, and then, and then, then I eventually let her see a few chapters of it, and she wound up uh, becoming the editor. All right, so, and uh, during the process of working on this book, you know, we started getting together a lot and um, going through it and this and that, and then that Webster Hall shit went down. So, she really caught me at what was like probably the worst period of my life and uh she was also going through some crazy shit in her own personal life so we really kind of came together at a time when when both of us were under the most amount of pressure you could possibly be under so we kind of got to see each other perform under extreme duress so it really wasn't like a normal like Oh yes, hi. We're a new couple. Everything's wonderful. It was like 
holy fuck, like, we're in a fucking hailstorm of fucking, you know, madness. And we kind of became like, uh, uh, it was almost like we were on a life draft, like me, her, and my kids who were also going through all this shit because their mother was making their life and my life insane. And the Webster Hall shit, my kids' family was splitting up. I was take, I was watching them more than their mother was, and there was this chaos and reporters coming to my house trying to interview my neighbor. It was like my life was insane. You know, I didn't yeah, know if I was going it. to jail. I was in fucking Rikers Island, man, and, and, my, and the woman who, who I'm now married to, yeah. she came to visit me in Rikers, you know? And it's like, yeah, man, you know, we've, we've... How many how many of your friends that you thought would be there for you ended up oh, being dude, nowhere to be found during that situation? That, dude, I had fucking no one in my corner except for Henzo Gracie and my wife. And, of course, my, my aunts, my family and stuff, such, but... Hey, I, I offered but, to help you with your legal bills. So you no, you did, you did, you did, absolutely. <laughs> you, 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 there was, it was few and far between. But I was also in such a state where I really, uh, it, it was beyond the Webster Hall shit, man. I, I just lost my kids, you yeah, know. Yeah. yeah. Their, their mother, it, it turned out, was, you know, I don't want to get into all of that business because I don't want to embarrass my kids, you know, on a public forum. No but doubt. let's just say things got crazy. Let's talk about the Webster Hall incident for a minute. Okay. Yeah. Now, my understanding is that you feel you were set up, like the oh, whole absolutely. thing was orchestrated. It ain't, even, it ain't even about it. There's not even a feeling you feel that, you feel that Well, you feel that John is the one who orchestrated oh, the whole I thing. I don't feel anything. I mean, if you just follow the trail of facts. No, I'm, just, I'm just, I'm just being, yeah. you know, because I'm friends. With, I'm friends with both of you no, guys. No, look, so you I'm, can I'm be, not, you can, you can be. I'm the, trying to be diplomatic. Mike, Mike, being Mike, a Mike bit check this out, Mike. Mike, check this out. If you want to be the devil's advocate and present your questions in that manner, that's fine. But it ain't a matter of anything I feel. It's a matter of what John said out of his mouth and words he said in several publications afterwards. He said, and he, I, he knew I was coming to the show because uh, he, he knew. I mean, uh, Hilly's, um, what's her name? Anyway, it, he knew I was coming. They told him I was coming. He even said this in the press. Then he goes and says in the press that he armed himself with a pipe and went down the stairs to the stage when he knew I was coming in the dressing room. So that's number one. He knew I was coming. Number two, he armed himself. Number three... I got invited into the dressing room by one of the guys that they later claimed was playing with them. So it's like, he knew I was coming. I got invited into the dressing room. He armed himself and went down the back stairs, and I got attacked. Okay, it doesn't take a fucking rocket scientist to say, damn, that's dirty. I mean, this is a guy that I've known since I was a kid, you know? And I just have a really, I have a hard time wrapping my brain around how he could even uh, set something like that in motion with, with any kind of a, uh, you know, I mean, this guy like claims to be all PMA, Hare Krishna, this, that, the other. It's like, dude, you deliberately set up someone that you 
no, you've known since they were like you know a kid. I've known them since I was probably like twelve or thirteen. I, it doesn't even. It's so bizarre and fucked up to me. You know, like I can't imagine like one of the bad brains, like Daryl, setting HR up to get attacked or something yeah. like that. It's just it's yeah. it's and, and never mind that like we're fucking grown men. I mean, I'm fucking 49. That motherfucker's in his 50s. Like, are you for real, dude? Yeah. Like, are are you fucking serious? Like, go chant some more Hare Krishna and eat a couple more veggie burgers, motherfucker. Because you ain't got a clue about positive mental anything. Because all he had to do was say, yo, Harley, Let's go up there and fucking play a few songs together. And that would have changed the fucking world of hardcore. It would have changed everything. It would have proven to all of these wannabe tough guys with their sour pusses and their hardcoreness. It would prove that, you know what? PMA really fucking is real. Like, you can fucking forgive each other. You can embrace each other. You can make the fucking fans happy instead of perpetuating the bullshit. It doesn't take a lot. It just takes saying, dude, man, we're some assholes. I miss playing with you, dude. Let's go have some fun. You know, it doesn't fucking take a lot. It's like... I fucking love the Misfits for saying, and I don't give a fuck if money was their motivation. Who cares? You know what? Yeah. You can't tell me for two seconds that those guys don't love playing those songs. And you can't tell me that there's that they haven't played those songs with as much enthusiasm or fun since they used to play together back in the day. And to see all those happy fans, to be able to look across the stage and see a childhood friend, that should be such a fucking huge reward. I mean, to me, it's 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 mind-boggling that John would fucking shit on that opportunity. And it's fucked up. And it's sad. And you know what? I even got stabbed. I got fucking 40 stitches in my leg. Then the motherfuckers went and lied to the press, said that I came in nice-needling, attacking people. I attacked their current bass player, Mike the Gook. Well, guess what? Mike wasn't even fucking playing bass with them that night. Craig Satari was. And Mackie told me that shit when I saw him a month later. So, first of all, I got invited into the dressing room. John dips down the back stairs with a pipe in his hand. I get jumped. And then everybody swears that I attacked everybody. John's in the newspaper saying, yo, man, he's a snitch. He's a Nazi. He's a he's a skinhead. He's trying to say literally every one liner that could possibly get me jumped in fucking Rikers. Yeah, that bitch ass motherfucker. Not only did he set me up to get jumped by other guys because he's too much of a faggot to fucking handle me himself. No disrespect to any gay people out there. I threw the term out there loosely. Um, yeah, but then he goes and fucking says all this bullshit in the paper that you know people in there are going to read. And, you know, so it's just like, dude, fucking, it's just sad, man. I'm embarrassed for him. But here's my two questions. Here's my two questions on this. 
And uh, also, I was I, I was always supporting you throughout this whole incident. So I was never one of those guys that didn't take a side. Just to well, be clear. thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> you know? And I got flagged <laughs> for that. Not that. Not that I care about that, but I wasn't someone who's like, well, I don't want to say anything because I know both guys. I know you a lot longer than John. So if I had to make a decision, obviously I'd pick you. I've just never had a bad experience. You know with what? John personally. I, I, my feeling so is, is I don't. I, I don't try to tell people who to be friends with. You know, yeah, no, I get that. I get that. Gig, I'm just telling you, know? you where I'm just telling you where I'm coming from. John's always been cool to me. I've never had a bad experience with him, so I don't have any like you know personal angst with that. So anyway, that's yeah, that yeah. a point aside. Here's 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 where I'm going. There. Here's the question I wanted to ask. Why I brought up this whole incident. Mm-hmm. Given that this whole situation went down the way it did, even afterwards, you you still tried to get the original Chromex lineup back together, including John. Now, why would you want to do that? If someone set me up to be jumped and potentially killed, I would I mean, forget about wanting to work with that person again. <laughs> you know, I would retaliate. I'll tell you, man. I, you know, I, I, there's, a, there's several reasons. You know, one is uh, because in my heart, uh, you know, those guys all do mean a lot to me, even though I know they're assholes and they've all done shit. You know, but we're all human. I spent a lot of my youth with them, and and to me that means something. I think I'm just sentimental in that way. I don't think it means as much to them as it does to me, obviously, by their actions. But number two, I I know how meaningful it would be to the fans. And the same way that I had the influence on you that I had as far as, you know, making you uh, think about vegetarianism and getting into working out and stuff, I just know what a positive thing it would be for the world like and i say that like loosely you know but i mean like all the fans worldwide and those fans when they see something positive when they try to go out and emulate something positive and when they learn how to forgive the people that they've had their little harley flanagan john joseph rivalry because of them seeing us grow up and finally act our fucking age you know, the, the the ripple effects of the positivity that it could produce, that's really what is the driving force behind my motivation. And, um, and you know, my mother, God bless her, you know, I was raised by a hippie, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, she always taught me to try to see uh, the good in people, you know. And I, I try, and some people make it very hard, but I try nonetheless. And, um, you know, I just feel at this point, like I've extended myself to these guys in so many ways and all they've ever done is just wipe their ass with me. So, well, like, I mean, like, enough, like I've told you, know? it's, it's time, it's time to put the criminals yeah, to death no, it is. and never, never yeah, bring no, it, it back is, to it life. Is. You know, like, fuck, yeah, fuck you know, and, and, and that's Krimax, fine, but I just, Krimax I just was your life to... in 1986, you know, it's yeah, over. No, I agree. <laughs> I agree. I agree. But, you know, it, it, to me, it's really just about closure. But at this point I have really put it to bed because I, I cleaned my side of the fence. You know what I'm saying? Right. I don't have the, the baggage attached to it. And I, I was just, I was actually telling my friend yesterday, you know, the sad thing about it all is, is those guys can't get past themselves. And that's why it'll never happen. You know, I, I, I got past myself a long time ago. In fact, well, I never really, I, in fact, I never really took myself very serious, to be honest. <laughs> Other people take me a lot funny, more serious than I do. analogy. I'll give you a funny analogy that people in my world will appreciate because it's parallel to your story, nowhere near as intense for sure, but it's in this, it's in the same vein. You know, I, I was, I came through 
the RKC organization, and my first kettlebell instructor was Pavel Satsalin, right? And then after four years in his organization, I wasn't happy with where things were going. Everyone knows the story, so I departed. I left on my own and started doing my own thing. Now, a few of my other friends who were also influential kettlebell instructors, Steve Cotter, Steve Maxwell, Nate Morrison, a few other guys, they all we all left at different times. We all started our own stuff. I didn't have an intense falling out with that organization. It was more like me giving them a heads up saying, here's what I want to do. I'm gone. So it was fairly no, it was it was it was fairly pleasant the way I left. Some of these other guys though had a huge falling out. Like my friend Steve Cotter had a really big falling out with Pavel, where they where it almost led to potentially a physical confrontation. So anyway, years down the road I was talking to Steve Cotter and Steve was saying he's like, Oh, you know, it would be nice if if all of us in the kettlebell world could start working together more instead of having all these fractions of people who like our system is great. You guys suck and all that. He'd be like, it'd be great if we could put on an event where all of these different schools of thought come together and we just have a positive platform where we can learn from each other as opposed to everyone trying to assert themselves. Yeah, as yeah. the best, And everyone else. And I like the idea. And I was in a place in my life where my, my personal life was going through some tough times as well. And then so I was, so I was, so I was kind of in a place where I was trying to get my personal life together, and I and I liked this idea too. I liked the idea of trying to bring some closure, as you will, yeah. in this situation. So I I reached out to Pavel, who I hadn't talked to for probably eight years at that time. I just sent him an email and said, "Hey, man, you know, I I feel kind of bad about how everything went down there, and while it wasn't me who provoked anything, I felt like I could have done more to quell the waters, if you will, as opposed to just being a disinterested party." And then he responded back saying, and so I basically said, look, why don't we, why don't we discuss all of us working together, putting an, an event together where everyone has an equal platform? And then his response back was very curt. It was like, we're not interested. It was like, glad you're doing well. We're going to pass. <laughs> you know, that was the whole email. Yeah. And, and it's like kind of, and, you know, and, I, and it really irritated me that kind of, it, it reminded me why I left that fucking organization in the first place, because this kind of dismissive nature, like I'm some, um, like I'm a, like he's a general and I'm a private bothering him uh, it, it really pissed me off to no end and then it made me feel dumb for even reaching out i was like fuck this dude he's gonna fucking send me you know email like that dude, why, I, why I, I had almost i had an almost identical experience uh recently with my old guitarist paris um when john barry passed away who was uh the original yeah. singer for the beastie boys um a bunch of the girls from luscious jackson and uh all the that whole crew of people that I used to hang out with when I was a kid who were all friends of the Beastie Boys all reached out to me to invite me to uh, like a get-together. And um, they were all freaked out that Paris was going to show up and they didn't want to be a problem. And this man, I said, look, there's not going to be a problem for me. I mean, I would never do something in a situation like that. That would be ridiculous. Uh, so anyway, everybody decided not to invite Paris. And they, in fact, they went as far as telling him, don't show up. Well, he showed up. Okay. And um, I obviously, I see him at the other end of the bar, hanging out, blah, 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 blah. I'm with my wife. And, and you know, it's not my nature to, to sit and ignore an elephant in a room. You know, I'm going to say, holy shit, there's a fucking elephant. You know? So I went, <laughs> so I walked over and, and like, and I'm standing there looking at him, waiting for his ass to, to acknowledge that I'm standing right there looking at him. And then he finally turns and looks at me and I'm like, Paris. And he's like, Ew. like looks at me all like, yes, you know? 
And I just extended my hand to him. I said, oh, it's good to see you. And I said, I'd like you to meet my wife, Laura. And I figured that that would be a way to, you know, calmly enter. And like, here, I'm introducing you to my wife. I'm obviously not here to have a beef, you know. And yeah, uh, so yeah. he's like, oh, shakes her hand. Very nice to meet you. And then uh, and I started just bullshit, a couple of small talk words. And then I'm like, uh, I whispered to her, I'm like, honey, uh, could you just give me a minute? I just want to talk to him for a second. And she's like, sure, of course. So she walks off. Yeah, and I'm like I'm like Paris, you know. I just want you to know that I I, I don't hold any uh, ill will towards you, and uh, I don't have any animosity and no hatred of any kind, you know. And uh, I would offer you my phone number, uh, you know, but I don't want to be out of line, and I don't know if you would even want to take it, you know. If you want to give me yours, I would be glad to take it, and I'll just say my number out loud. And if you want to try to remember it, you can. And I said my phone number. Yeah, and um. And he looked at me, and he, he, like, got this look all serious. And he goes, Harley. And he grabbed me by my forearm. Not, like, hard, but just, like, held my arm and looked at me in my eye. Yeah. And said, we will never be friends, Harley. And I looked at him and said, you know what? I'm really sorry that you feel that way, Bob. You know, take care. And I walked back over to the other end of the bar, and I just went back to this hanging out with my friends. And all the girls who were there were, like, you know, kind of, I hate to say laughing at him for being such a fucking, for being like that. But <laughs> like, damn. And they were like, you know, what the fuck, man? You know, grow the fuck up. And then they all went on to start. Yeah. Yeah, man, yeah. he was so on your dick when you were kids. He would have fucking blown you if you would have told him about <laughs> his fucking knees. You know, it's like, so like, but my whole point was, you know, like, I'm like, look, we're fucking grown men here, you know? And, 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 and then I just let it go. You know, I cleaned my side of the fence. It's like, if you can't get well, past yourself, dude, I'm sorry. But you know let me, what? Let me, put, let, me finish, let me let me add a little bit of positivity here because I can relate to that with with when I reached out to to my former mentor Pavel or I mean, he's not a former mentor he was a mentor and very pivotal very helpful in my business for many years I don't have anything negative to say about him at all I was more disappointed that we couldn't yeah, try to have some comments on but at the at the same time his publisher right his right hand man at the time they don't work together anymore John Duquesne of Dragon Republications John actually reached out and he was like hey nice to hear from you. I'd love to talk to you if you have a moment. Give me his phone number. We ended up talking on the phone for probably about a good half hour, and it was a very nice conversation. And he basically said that he always thought of me as a friend and that he heard that I said some things, and he was really disappointed by that. And I explained to him that I never said those things. I was like, look, I'm not going to lie and say I wasn't angry about some things and that I vocalized that, but I never spread the malicious story that he brought up. And then we kind of had a laugh about it afterwards because it was so ridiculous. He's like, yeah, it seemed totally out of character for you to say something like that. So I, I guess I should have talked to you about it then instead of just believing some idiot who told me this. Some total fucking pussy-ass twat is the one who told him this story, saying that I said it. <laughs> and I know when this motherfucker is the one who told me the goddamn story. And then he's going, then he calls hey, him. You know what? It's oh, always better to check the source. Direct, go directly to the source, man. Well, you know what, what I'm saying? John said. John, John said, like, oh, when this guy told me this story, I should have just called up Mike with him on the line and been like, okay, I want you to tell Mike what you just told me. And so anyway, we had a good – where I'm going with this is that we had a very pleasant conversation Nothing ever, nothing ever built from that in terms of working together again. And honestly, I don't want to work with him. He doesn't want to work with me. But there's no negative you energy. Closure, that you know, it, 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 yeah, it's it's nice to walk that. away from a chapter in your life with a, a, a better ending. You know, and that's right. to me, you know, not right. to go back onto the Chromags or anything because that's a, you know, we're already over. No, please, people maybe. want it, People but, want to hear it. So go ahead. Go you ahead. know, and that's why to me it would be meaningful. And I even said, you know, at the Doctor No thing, I was like, dude, I would play a free benefit for Doc. 
or, you know, do a record one song with those guys and put it online just for a download for money to put to dock. Because I felt like, you know, maybe even if these guys think I'm a dick, maybe they'll fucking do something positive for somebody that meant a lot to all of us when we were growing up. But you know what? Even that fucking wasn't good enough for them. So you know what? It's all good. It's over. Here's what I want to know. Here's what I want to know. Why Why do you think that both Paris and John have so much animosity towards you? What role do you think you played in all of that? Uh, you know, it's it's hard when you feel like, you know, I, look, I, again, they can't get past themselves, really, ultimately. And, yeah. and, and if I, if I want to elaborate, you know, I could, I could, you know, I could say, well, you know, maybe it's this, maybe it's that, you know, Paris has always <laughs> acted like a jilted lover. You know, he's always acted like the, 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 the bitch that got dumped. You know, he's like, he'll, he'll eternally be, that motherfucker, you know. You know, like, he felt like I was cheating on him with John because me and John were better friends than me and him. You know, he felt like I was cheating on him with my fucking girlfriend because, I, you know, I was fucking her and not him. I, you know, I don't know. You know, well, maybe, maybe, maybe he has, it sounds like he well, has some unresolved issues. You know, you know every fucking buddy in that goddamn band had issues, you know, and I'm just probably the only one who's really resolving any of my you know, that's the only well, fucking difference. You're here. the only guy that's trying to like extend some goodwill, from what I can see. So that that's what. Yeah, well, see, you know what it, it is. It's just like you know what you were saying before, how like you know, like I can move forward. I'll never forget like this, that, and the other, and I'll call him out. Like, dude, you know, yeah, I'm still pissed about this, that, and the other. But anyway. Where do we move well, on? Just, here? If, someone, like, if, someone tried to, if someone tried to get me killed, I can't move past that. So yeah, you're a better man. You know, Mike. Well, I don't know. No, if you somebody, know, I look at it like this, Mike. Check it out. It could be a lot less. It than was. That. It was. It was. A, it was a good. It was a fun time. I mean, you know, I. You know, how often do you get? To, I haven't had a bar fight in a long time. I mean. It was kind of fun, was you know. It, you know, I mean, it's not every day you get away with stabbing someone or biting someone in the face. I mean, it's kind of exciting, you know. It's like old times, you know. That was a good time. I got jumped, you know, but I haven't given you know, a bite. Hey, you know what? The only thing that sucked was the food in Rikers. I had to eat chicken for a couple of days, you know. But, you know, other than that, it was all right, you know. I mean, is, it could have turned out I mean, a lot I, worse. You have you know, a I, only, I, I got stabbed in the leg, not in like the face or the throat or the whatever the fuck, you know. And nobody died, you know. That, that's another thing. It's like you know, everybody's like, ooh, you know, fucking trying to go off. Like you, you know, you use the knife, look, motherfuckers. I got fucking seven, eight people jumping on me, man. I fucking use a handgun if I fucking got access to one. But you know, in all honesty, had I wanted to put someone in the fucking ground, there would have been some dead motherfuckers. I mean, you know, I didn't stab anybody. Like, I didn't put a knife into someone's lung or heart or throat. You know, I fucking, everything I did was defensive. That's why people only got hurt. You know, I'm a fucking black belt. Well, and if you fucking put a blade how- in my hand, you know I will fucking end you. So, right. you know, my intention was not to hurt anybody. You know, when I got jumped, you know, and I'll tell you what the fuck happened. It's like, I literally, I got invited into the dressing room. This motherfucker was like, big hug. And, you know, we, let's squash this. We got to go talk to John. Let's, we got to put an end to this. It's been too long. I'm thinking, yeah. yeah, you know, you're right. This is what I came here to try to be. Let me go try to do this. I fucking walk in the dressing room with these two motherfuckers, Mike the Gook and this other jerk-off, Rat Bones. 
And as soon as I walk in, I see the door get pulled closed behind me, and I got punched in the face from the side. And then I got punched from the other side, and then it was just a rain of punches and kicks to you know to where I'm just seeing flash bulbs from every time the, the punches are hitting me in the eye and the head. And, and I literally went flying forward, hit the couch, rolled over to my back, and started throwing up kicks to try to keep people to fuck off me. Right. And so you can't tell me that I fucking started a goddamn fucking thing. And meanwhile, John, big badass Mr. PMA, is like sneaking down the fucking stairs with a pipe in his hand. And I'm like, dude, like to this day, I don't think I could have, I could stand by and let a bunch of people jump John or Paris or even a fucking stranger. Right, right. You, you know how many fucking fights I've gotten into because I've jumped into the motherfuckers who were trying to stomp one motherfucker into the ground. I've jumped off stage into the audiences to stop people from doing shit like that. The fact that yeah. John could even know that some shit like that was going to go down is insane. It's like, dude, are you fucking for real, motherfucker? Like, what fucking kind of a man are you? You know? It's a big fucking coward fuck, man. That's just, it's, it's embarrassing. It's like, grow a fucking pair. You know? This motherfucker could have made, like, thousands of people happy by saying, yo, Harley, man, fuck this shit. Let's go up and do two songs. I don't want to play with you no more because you're an asshole, but let's go two <laughs> songs just so everybody yeah. can see that we forgive each other. And then fuck you. You know what? That would have been a beautiful thing. It would have gone on YouTube, but it would have went viral. And people would have said, wow, those guys can get along. Now maybe we can all stop acting like a bunch of fucking assholes, too. Because <laughs> that's yeah, how right. fucking right. fans are. You know, oh, no, you're right. doing it. So that justifies <laughs> us not acting like dickheads. Maybe all of a sudden DMS would start, you know, change their name to PMA. You know, <laughs> it's like, now, anyway. Fuck it. Like I said, I'm over it, man. It was a good time. Well, here's, here's, I landed here's my on my take. feet. Here's, here's my take on the whole thing, right? Because like when someone told me this story, the first thing in my mind was that doesn't make any sense for me for a lot of the reasons you brought up. It doesn't make sense that one guy is going to walk into a room full of people and attack them. And also, sure. given, given that I know you, given that I know you extremely well, I've known you for over 10 years, and you and I have had a lot of pretty deep phone conversations. We've met yes. in person. You've been, uh, you've been in my courses. Yes. And I also... So I so I, I feel like I know you pretty well, and I also know what kind of a father you are and how committed you are to your kids. And I go, when I sacrifice the, I, that shit, that's you know, where I'm going. I go, I go, you know, the, I go. Given that's that what my wife to, said he's when, when, when he's this, not, all this shit went down, she was like, I know him. I know what kind yeah. of father he is. He would never do this and risk never not being able to see his kids. You well, know, you have a life. Outside of all this, you're a black belt in hands of you're, you're an instructor there. It's not like you're some guy on the street and this is and this is like the final straw for you. You're like, you know, fuck exactly. it, my life is over. I don't care anymore. I'm just gonna go do that's that's that's, yeah. that's the way no. they make it. And that's and that's exactly how they tried to portray the shit in the media. You know, like there was literally I was sitting in a fucking cell in Rikers reading the fucking New York Post and it's like he was stomping around in front of the venue, uh, screaming, you know, that, uh, how dare they steal my music. Like, and I'm like, what the fuck are they talking about? <laughs> like, this didn't happen. And, of course, it's all, like, unnamed sources, unnamed eyewitness account. I'm like, oh, yeah, the motherfucker wants to make a statement, but he doesn't want to say who he is. 
know. Well, that was also the other thing that was very telling is that when it went to trial, I mean, that didn't go to trial, but when it went to court, no one yeah. wanted to show up because they didn't want to well, lie. No, on the it, they actually had about 25 eyewitness accounts. But okay. the thing but is, all of them conflicted with each other. Like, right. the DA couldn't find two stories that had the same timeline. Right. Like, right. you know, so so all his witnesses started to fall to the side because he's like, I can't I can't build a case if nobody's saying the same thing. Yeah. Right. So anyway, you know, but I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it was really a great experience, really. You know, again, I, I'm a cups half full guy because you know what I got to see who really had my back so I got to cut a lot of fucking dead weight people out of my life like people yeah. who are just fake motherfuckers who were there for the take but really weren't there for when the shit gets down to the nitty and gritty you know right, I got right. to see who my I, I built a stronger foundation in my life you know I've seen who really matters and the people who had my back were like people like Henzo Gracie you know my yeah. um, people that fucking have value, you know, people yeah. that are, are upstanding people, you know, my wife, fucking, she's like a, a my fucking a rock, man, you know, and uh, and even you know losing my kids gave me a whole new appreciation for for how much I love them, you know. I mean, I, it's like I always knew, but like having having someone taken from you that you really love is a really painful experience, you know. And I, and I think, despite the the anguish and whatnot, you know, it, it's all going to towards helping make me a, a better person and a more self realized person. Yeah. So, but, well, um, one thing you're very good at doing is taking negativity and putting it into a positive outlet because your new record is great. The latest record oh, thank is great. You. Thank you. Thank it's, basi it's basically a concept album because just about every song is about the Webster Hall incident. If anyone wants to know your side, you're like, oh, okay, I'm listening to the songs. I'm like, oh, okay, this is what bad. happened. <laughs> well, you know what it is, is, man, it was just such an overwhelming experience at that moment in time that, that like, I couldn't really think of anything else. <laughs> I couldn't write anything else because I was like, this, it was... That's what was going on, and, and I've always been. Lyrics, it's not just lyrics. The way you play the bass is so unique to you, right? Like I'm not a I'm not a musical guy in terms of playing any instruments, but the second I hear you play the first yeah, chord know. on the bass, I it's yeah. you. I'm like, okay, yeah. that's a, that's no, Everybody that's said that. Everybody's like, and yeah, no. no, no you, it, attack, you attack the bass like it's a really aggressive form of bass playing. And also, you can actually hear the bass on your shit. A lot of records, you can't even, you don't even know if someone's playing the bass. You can't even hear it at all. You know what? I think a, a lot, lot of, of fucking bass players are kind of fucking, a lot of hardcore and metal bass players are kind of amateurs. So they probably mix them low because they're not really doing anything very interesting. <laughs> right. You know, but, um, and honestly, I don't even listen to anything at home that resembles what I play except for like old stuff, you know, like old hardcore. Honestly, I listen to more like <laughs> Cool in the Gang, SOS bands, Average White yeah, bands. You know, I listen to like a right. lot of old school disco, <laughs> R&B. I listen to the fucking reggae and, and pretty much you're gonna hear the you're gonna hear the bass. You're gonna hear the bass player, <laughs> you know, yeah, prominently that, in those type of groups. You know. That's you what I'm saying. So you know, my my, <laughs> I had this conversation online the other day. I was like, you know, somebody said, "Damn, you you got good taste in in soul and R and B," and I was like, 
And he's like, you know, come think of it, your bass playing. And I was like, well, that's why our, that's why we had groove. That's why we have swing. I mean, if you listen to any old New York hardcore bands, they were super stiff. They had no fucking groove, no swing whatsoever. Just so white, (laughs) you know, no fucking, (laughs) no groove. And we always had groove. And it's because I grew up fucking playing, you know, my first school band, we used to do like, you know, Cool in the Gang covers and shit, you know. So I always had the funk. Well, I mean, your the influence is, my, is that, your influence that is still there. And let everybody know that's the pre-80s Cool in the Gang, because, you know, most people think of like Celebration. Yeah, well, I don't know We're talking Summer Mad. No, 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 I know old school shit. You know, like, I'm totally old school, you know, shit. Well, here, here's my perspective. No, I mean, you know, you know what's funny I ever is, bought, The first album I ever bought was like Herbie Hancock, uh, Secret, yeah. Secrets, and uh, Chameleon, and yeah, Chameleon, like, man. you know, Stevie Wonder, uh, Music in the Key of Life, you know? Yep. And then my mother got me the Sex Pistols album and just fucked everything <laughs> up. I would have probably been <laughs> some shit. <laughs> no, but your influence is still there today because I actually got into, I started actually listening to a lot of hardcore music that's current, maybe like five years ago. You know, my business was successful. I have more free time on my hands. So I'm like, let me go, get, let me develop some hobbies like music, which I haven't listened to in a long time, new stuff that is. And to tell you the truth, there's a lot of stuff out there that sucks, but there are a lot of bands that are really good, in my opinion, and you can tell that they're influenced by you. They're not clicheing you, but the influence is there. They have a lot of groove. It's not just very... Well, yeah, you know, people have had time to learn how to stuff. play. I mean, the early generation well, of hardcore thing. people weren't really so much musicians. It was just like kids just trying to express themselves and make noise. You know? well, well, to some extent, though, the better you got... It was almost to your detriment, and here's what I mean. Like, if you listen to Best Wishes versus Age of Coral, right? Like, every, everyone loves Age of Coral. Everyone says Age of Coral is the best Chromex album, blah, blah, blah. I actually wasn't a fan of Age of Coral at the time. I got into the Chromex because of Best Wishes, because I was more of a metal guy. And then I liked that so much that I went back and gave Age of Coral a chance, and then I really liked it. But, but it's actually um, funny. Wishes, that, that is actually more common than, than people realize. I mean, everybody, yes, everybody says Age of Coral is wrong, but Best Wishes actually sold more, and and it did bring all the metalheads into the picture. Well, the the music is, I mean, the, the, the talent on that album is way better than the first one. You, know, you guys evolved quite a bit as a cohesive unit. I mean, you know, I don't know. Better. I don't know. I, I actually, I, I, I don't know. I, I personally only like part of that album. And there's a lot of things I don't like about it. You know, it, it's, to me, it's, you know. You're always going to be I, your own worst critic. You're, you're the yeah. wrong guy to ask. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think Age of is a better album. Not, not like, sonically or anything, but just because it, it means the most as far as, like, historically. And, and we have been playing those songs for a long time live. By the time we got the best wishes, it was almost like, you know, a lot of stuff you're kind of writing in the studio or you're writing in a rush to to, to uh, make a record or whatever. I mean, you know what? That, I, that I, album I, has influenced a lot of bands, too. There, there's a band called yeah, Power yeah. Trip. And it's obvious that they're, that they're heavily influenced by Best Wishes. Now, in interviews, they always say Age of Quarrel is their influence, but to me, it's obvious that Best Wishes is more yeah, of an influence. That's also the cool thing to say. But it, exactly, that's, that's that's the other thing. Everyone's like, oh, he's I mean, a like the, the, I remember the guitarist from Madball told me years ago that he got into Best Wishes and then backtracked. 
And that was because right. he was a metalhead. You know, a lot of the people who play in so-called hardcore bands now were metalheads, and that's how they actually learned how to well, play. I, I actually liked your vocal. I actually liked your vocal style too. I thought well, your they, vocal style. It, you know what? Honestly, I'm just starting to feel good about my vocals. I mean, I liked the vocals on Revenge, but now I'm starting Revenge, to really. Revenge really went. Revenge really went under the radar. I thought that was an incredible album. And especially yeah, the first I, song, I, yeah. meditated. I mean, that's one of the that's one of the heaviest songs ever. Yeah. Well, you know what? It, I I recently realized, actually, just a few months ago, <laughs> that you know those songs they they don't belong to me anymore. My opinion really doesn't matter anymore. You know, they belong to the fans. They belong to the people who they matter to. I I realized that um, in September. Um, because, uh, you know, all the bickering back and forth between the band members became larger than, than, than the songs to, you know, and meanwhile, the songs are what really matters. And, um, check this out. This guy reached out to me on uh, Facebook, right? And, um, he starts telling me how, you know, um, he he lost his wife uh, in 9/11 uh, yeah. in the Twin Tower attacks, and uh, she left him with a five-year-old son. And he said, "He's like, she left me with a five-year-old. I didn't know what to do with. You know, I, I had no experience raising a kid by myself, and losing my wife, and just uh, losing his mind. And he was like, during the, that time, you became my." Uh, my my therapy, like I was working at a motorcycle shop and at night when I'd put my son to sleep, I would go into the shop and just crank Age of Quarrel and just freak out and like scream and and just unleash all the pain. And, uh, and he's like, you were, became my savior during the hardest part of my life and I want to thank you. And that had such a such an emotional impact on me. I was like, "Oh my God!" Like I don't even know how to express my gratitude for having been able to to be there for someone at a time like this. Like I can't even imagine what he was going through, and and to know that I was able to be there for him without even knowing. Like I was just like, "Man, thank you!" Like. I'm so sorry. And uh, I wound up meeting up with him like a week later and uh, hanging out. And and, that, and again, that's like, you know, the same way my music had the impact it did on you to, to like improve and better your life and, and make you the man that you are. Like, that shit is incredible, man. You know, I've really been blessed, man. Who the fuck am I to, to be permitted, to be granted, to have such a meaningful place in people's lives? Well, honestly, one more area you influenced me is I just thought of is now. It's an obvious one is that you guys were heavily into spirituality. Hare Krishna. My mother's Indian. She was a Hindu. So I, I, I didn't grow up as in a strict Hindu environment. My dad's white from Montana. But I, I did. I was I did grow up with that influence. And when I was a teenager, I was look I was in a self-destructive place and I was looking for some way to, to stabilize myself. 
And I started reading the Bhagavad Gita around the same time that I started listening to the Chrome Eggs. And so there were some parallels there. I'm like, okay, cool. These guys are actually influenced by this as well. And the more I got into it, the more I wanted to learn about it. And that ended up being when I went to college, I actually majored in religious studies with a focus on Eastern religion. And the beginning of that journey was with a Chrome Eggs record. You know, so that's just one more area. You influenced me. Yeah, hey, man, I should I start like collecting. I should start collecting fucking residuals off of you, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, you, now, now you don't have to feel bad about. Now you don't have to feel bad about all that money I gave you. There, so yeah, well, you, you did. You, 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 did <laughs> you know, for those of you who don't know, Mike actually sponsored uh, the recording of one of my records when I was working on Harley's War. And I had no way to get in the studio, and I was writing material, and I was really on fire creatively, but I did not have a way to create. And um, Mike was gracious enough to sponsor the recording of what became an album, and uh, in return, I gave him material that he wound up using on his uh, DVDs and so on and so forth. So, yeah, thank you, man. You, it's been, you, it's been uh, this show. Yeah, you do. You you've helped me a great deal, you know. And I mean, you know, ultimately, that's you know, that's what it's all about is like helping people move forward. You know, that's that's why I say like that's the real reward for for me. You know, those songs don't belong to me anymore. Like I just said, you know, they belong to the people well, I that, think, that, I think that the it, they matter to. You, not only did you help me, but think about all of the thousands of people that I've helped that you had that you played a role in. So that's that's you know what's what? really cool is that right. that whole paying forward thing really does exist in a large in a, in a yeah in a strong no way. you know if, if my wife says it all the time you know if if the hour if the arrows are pointing out you know good things will come if you're pointing them all towards yourself it's it's not the same thing as long as everything is going out when you're taking care of everybody around you you know it's like positive ripple effect you know that's really the only hope we we have. You know. I, I think I think the problem with hardcore music is when it becomes the end in and of itself. And what I mean by that is just like with people in our industry, sincere in mind, the fitness industry, there are a lot of people who work out really hard and they get positive benefits from that in terms of their strength and their physique, but they never transfer it outside of the gym. So what happens is they become addicted to working out because that's the one place where they feel good that the rest of their life, though, never improves. And that doesn't improve their life. Yeah, no, I, like, I've had the same experience. Someone goes, to a show, someone goes to a show and they're like, you know what? My job sucks. My life sucks. But I can but I can come to the show and I can get it all out. Well, that's all fine and good. But why don't you come to the show, get it all out, and then use that energy to improve other areas of yeah, your life? So like that your life then is, take that you know, and you know what's great? In- your life is you know what you know what you know how you really enjoy a concert. You got a great life. You got a great spouse or significant other. You have a great business career. And when you and then you go to a concert and you enjoy that. That's a lot more yeah. pleasant than. My life sucks, but I'm going to this Chrome I'm going to the show to get off the, the frustration <laughs> of my life. No, the, the going to the show should be part of the enjoyment of your existence, not like a way to, you know, I'll tell well, you know, just like what you said about the working out, you know, how it should in, affect the rest of your life outside of the gym. It's like, that's basically what jujitsu did for me, you know, I, yeah. like it changed my life. It didn't just teach me ways to dismantle the human anatomy. It actually changed my life, 
it changed the person that I am. It changed how I interact with other humans. It, it changed my, my core, my being. <clears throat> and it's like when I first started training, obviously, I, you know, I started for the same reason most people, you know, did because I wanted to learn more ways of how to fuck people up. You know, people who are into fighting or, or in martial arts are usually motivated by wanting to learn how to fuck people up. But, you know, not, now that I get fucked up. Yeah, you know, one or the <laughs> other, you know, which can often be the same thing, you know, not getting fucked up can be by learning how to fuck people up, you know, but, but, uh, now that I've been doing this for 20 years, it's really like, I, it doesn't, it's not even about the fighting anymore. It's really just about the love of the art and, and even the love of the environment. And the uh, relationship with the people and, and the relationship I have with my students and the extended family that it creates, you know, not just my students, but their families and the people that, that have become involved with my life through jujitsu, whether they're, you know, again, training partners, students, teachers, or their extended family. I mean, it's really... You know, I love the, the, the fluidity, the, the movement. And, uh, you know, yeah, it's, you know, one of the greatest martial arts, you know, self-defense systems out there. But it's, it's, it's really more, it's become more of a spiritual safe zone. You right. know, it's become really part of my, um, my social life and my, my being, you know? Yeah. And then you teach you teach kid, kids classes and you look like you're having a blast doing that. The kids oh, look like dude, you're having I love fun. It, you're having it's fun. fun it looks man. great. Yeah, I mean cool. it's really rewarding. You know, when I, you know, especially when you get some kids. You know, I've worked with a lot of kids who you know are like have special needs and stuff. You know, whether they have like yeah. you know autism or you know I, I had a kid who had uh, Tourette's and you know and different kids and just to see the the type of uh, the the how much their lives change, like the, the the confidence. Once they start getting that self-confidence, how they go from being like really insecure and having all kinds of issues to all of a sudden they're like actually getting past a lot of the issues that they were having and, and, and get, you know, they're, they're, you know, getting better, you know, better coordination, their balance is improving, their interaction is better with people. They're more confident. They look you in the eye. They're proud of what right. they're doing. I mean, right. it's huge, man. You know, it's uh, it's really rewarding. You know, when, on days when I don't feel like going to work, I come home feeling good that I just was there. You know, that, that that's what physical training did for me because I was a very sh a shy, awkward, introverted young man. And when I got into physical training and I started actually making progress, started getting stronger, it was very addictive. And it also led yeah. to just being a lot more confident. I liked the way I looked, which means I felt better about myself. I started carrying myself in a much better way. Other people started noticing, which made you, which reinforced wanting to keep going down this path. Yeah. So I get Also, it. one thing I think that, you know, I, I mean, I'm sure everybody who listens to your show is aware of the fact that you're a vegetarian. But, like, I was super impressed when I met you with the fact of how strict you were with your diet and yet how fucking jacked you were. I mean, if, you know, those of you who have not personally met Mike, I mean, this guy is fucking huge. He's fucking strong as shit. His arms are fucking huge. And it's like, how the fuck do you do this on a vegetarian diet 
and it's like really inspiring. It's like, you know, I've always been in good shape and stuff, but it's like when you meet, I mean, again, someone like Doyle from the fucking Misfits. He's oh, a yeah, guy is a beast. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, so it's very inspiring because people are like, it, it uh, smashes people's misconceptions about uh, strength. That like you do you, do you know what do you know what Doyle's training background is? Does he, does he have a basis in powerlifting? I've well, I know he used to play that. football when I knew him when we were kids. You know, he was always athletic. Him and Jerry both played football in school, and they both used okay. to lift weights like crazy. Like they always had benches and shit in their uh, basement. So I mean, but I don't know if he ever did any like real serious like competitive. Uh, bodybuilding or strength training or yeah, I don't I don't know if he's strong but that guy is jacked no he's I fucking strong like, he, he's strong okay. and he he's uh, like he is. yeah no he is but he's you know from what I recall he's one of these guys who like really doesn't like working out <laughs> he does it because he has to <laughs> because he he wants to keep in the shape he's That's in funny. it's not like he loves doing it it's like I do exactly <laughs> what I have to and then I do what I want to you know I mean, but what's funny is, like, I saw Danzig out here in Vegas, maybe. I've seen him a couple times out here, and he kills it every time. But one show, Doyle was a guest, and when he when he came out on stage, the whole place went nuts. Yeah, no, I mean, he's, he's, fucking, he's nuts. a star, dude. I mean, he's got yeah, that, Everybody you know, was focused on him. When he left, everyone yeah. was like, bring Doyle back out, you know? <laughs> totally, totally, you know? And it's fucked up, you know, because, I mean, I, again, I was very, very happy to see those guys get back together on stage. It should have happened years ago instead of now, you know, but whatever. It's better late than never. I mean, know? yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think it's I think it's cool to see. I mean, I think it's cool to see Guns N' Roses do somewhat of an original lineup again. It's cool to see the Misfits doing like I'd love to see the Misfits if they come out here and do a show. I would definitely check that out. At the same time, though, I think a lot of people who who really hang on to that, like when I, when I see people going to shows and they're fucking like fifty pounds overweight and they're trying, you know, and they're they're trying. You to know, there has to be a time. There has to be a time when you have to say, okay, enough's a fuck enough. You know, I mean, me and myself, what I feel about, like trying to remember what what it was like to be in high school and they're trying to recapture that feeling. I was like, yeah, well, but now you it's know what? Also, a lot of people, you know, like, for a lot of people, number one, it's they still enjoy playing. It's hard to stop doing something that you really enjoy. No, I, doing. I don't mean the band. I mean the people going. I don't mean the band. Oh yeah, well that's you know you can tell that it's, at a certain point you you can tell that it's time to hang it up when you from like looking at your audience. Yeah, you know, yeah. there comes a point in time when you should be able to look at your crowd and say, like, you know what, guys, we really should stop doing this shit. Like, you know, that's that, at that point, you young bands because when I go to some of these legacy bands, like we saw Alice in Chains recently, mm. and I looked at the audience, I'm like, God, this is depressing, man. <laughs> you yeah. know? Like, well, you know, it's funny because I'm working with this management company. Homebook at that event. I'm working with this management company now, and I was telling them, you know, when we first started talking, I'm like, look, guys, we got to do, like, targeted shows. We got to play the right kind of shows and, and things that matter because I have no interest whatsoever in driving around in a van for five or six hours to go play for a bunch of, like, middle-aged hardcore people and little kids. <laughs> like, I just don't give a fuck. That's just not even remotely interesting to me. So we got to up the ante and make it something that's worth doing because I actually like my life, and I like waking up next to my wife, and I like my job. So unless it's, like, something that really matters, uh, it's not interesting, you know? <laughs> 
I was uh, I was at actually I was at the Danzig show and I had an Agnostic Front T-shirt on. And some guy comes up to me and he goes, "Hey man, there's no justice. There's just us. Blind justice." Fooled all. <laughs> you know, he starts quoting. <laughs> and this guy is like forty pounds overweight. He's drinking a Miller Lite. And I was like, "Yeah." And he's like, after he finished his saying, he's like, "Know what I mean?" I was like, "What? I, what I know? <laughs> know what I mean?" What I what I know is I'm going to go to the other side of the venue. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Example of me of a guy who hasn't evolved. Like he's 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 got this this retarded development where he's he's still in the mindset of who he was when he was a teenager listening to these albums. And like, you're trying to recapture that. I go, buddy, well, it's gone. That man. shit is, is actually that for that one moment, he is having that experience where he's reliving it, but then he's going to go back to his really suck ass life, which is even worse than reliving that moment. <laughs> you know, <laughs> It's like, okay, I get to go and pretend, you know, for a minute that this shit is still significant. And then I go back to my shit life and my shit job. I had a lady come to one of my courses one time, right? And she, used to, and she was a very strong lady, obviously worked out hard. And she's like, if it wasn't for working out, I wouldn't be able to deal with my shitty job. That's what she said. And I was like, well, you need to quit working out then. She's like, what do you mean? I was like, if if working out is what gets you to tolerate a job you hate, then then that's doing you more damage than good. You need to stop then fucking working out. You need to get out. a new job. <laughs> exactly. So that you're motivated to improve your life, man. I was like, when, when training actually impedes your personal life negatively, that's not a positive thing anymore. I don't care how strong you are. I don't care how fit you think you are. When your personal life is being affected in a detrimental manner, it's time to fucking shake things up. Yeah, no, definitely your life sucking should not be the motivating factor for you to go and like train jujitsu or lift weights like my life sucks, so I need to go to the gym. No, you should life should be great and going to the gym should just be a part of that experience. No, it's, like, it's like people with angry sex, right? They're like, you know what, I hate her but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> great angry sex. And I was like, you know what? My experience is sex is a lot better if you actually like the person. Hey, it's even better if you love her. <laughs> when you hate her or him, depending on your sexuality, that's not a good thing, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. <laughs> Harley's like, I don't know if I can agree with that. He's just well, you know, I got to go both sides of the fence on that one. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know. But it's kind of anyway, like when man. you were talking about kind of like when you were talking about how I don't know if you were on some LSD high or something you're like man I, I felt like I, I had all the mysteries of the world solved <laughs> you know? yeah yeah yeah. No, I, for a quick second there I knew everything you know for, <laughs> of course I, I wrote it all down and fucking lost the notebook so it was like it was actually very um, uh, that, yeah, that reminds me of who go on these like I, go I these. had it all and I lost it oh, you know? it's like these people go on these ayahuasca journeys which is always like someone who's in the suburbs and white and very bored with his or her life. Say, somebody, somebody, they need to go to fucking Peru <laughs> and have some fucking shaman <laughs> from Detroit who right lives out there. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows what the fuck you're Because I don't know, man. So much the people I know, Mike, I, the folks that I knew and grew up, grew up around, when you start telling us, like, hey, man, I'm going to take you guys up into these hills in this foreign country, I'm going to get y'all so fucked up. We're going to get gonna all start fucked seeing, up on some drugs, gonna, and we're going to fucking gonna have an experience. We're going to start Jesus, and, and, you know, you might end up taking all your clothes off, and we're going to be like, that doesn't sound like a fucking good time. Fuck yeah, no, nah, no, nah, man, I'm good. I'm good. That's, that's, how you, that's how you end up coming back home. You're on a plane, you're sitting there like, why is my butt so sore, man? I don't understand. <laughs> I hate it, man. 
Hey, brother, but you know we all bonded, so you know what happens in Peru stays in Peru. Like, yeah, I don't you know, know, I think bond. <laughs> you bond metaphorically, physically, every way you can bond. <laughs> you don't remember any of it, which is even more exactly. fucked up. You know, but and you don't want to remember. You're like, you know what? Nah. Yeah, I'm man. Good. You know what? I used to smoke enough dust back in the day up in Harlem, so you know I don't need to fucking go to Peru. I did enough LSD in my youth, which is the real shit. I don't need to do some ayahuasca bullshit to have some <laughs> yeah, kind of spiritual yeah, no, journey. Enough. I, I, I realized a long time ago that I don't ever need to take a hallucinogenic and anything me. again. I DJ enough raves to see all that to not want to do any of that. I'm like, yeah. I've seen enough e-puddles and everything else. I'm like, you know what? There's my there's my after school special sitting right in front of those turntables while I'm DJing. Like, I don't ever want to look like that, be like that, and be like that. And then going to enough shows and DJ enough shows. Like, yeah, I'm good, man. I've seen yeah. enough. I remember one time I was on 116th Uptown uh, getting some Crazy Eddie, which was the brand of dust of, of choice for me back then. And there was this blind dude smoking dust. I remember thinking to myself, damn, I wonder what the fuck that shit must be like for him. <laughs> you know, like, like I was just like, what kind of fucking weird experience must that be? You know, and that was actually when I started doing all the shit with... Uh, experimenting with sense deprivation during my trips when I would, like, kill all the lights and this and that. And, oh, boy, yeah, it's all in the book. I, I did some crazy shit around that time. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, all, it's all in there. That's what makes the yeah. book so entertaining. The, the, book is, <laughs> the, book, the book is really the, the book is really touching at times. It's really funny at times. It's really intense at times. So, I mean, it's, 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 it comes off extremely authentic. That's what I think people are going to enjoy. Well, you about know what, bro? You know, I tell people, you know, it's like, they're like, are you going to write another book? I'm like, well, I, I, no. You know, I didn't, I didn't even write <laughs> yeah, a book. What else I, is I there just, to say? I mean, <laughs> first of all, I didn't write a book. I just told my story. Like, I wrote yeah, I down my else? life. And, like, I just tried to tell it like if I was having a conversation with you. I didn't actually write anything. I just literally poured all my memories down. So yeah, the, I got the book nah, right in front of me. It's you know, 434 fucking pages. What else do you need to say? <laughs> you know, Dude, it would have been like a thousand pages had my wife not fucking gotten involved with the editing because this shit was ridiculous, <laughs> man. I mean, I, for for every like drug story, every fight story, every fucking story, there was probably like, you know, 20 more that got taken out. So, you know. Yeah, you know, you know and it was all and it was all one sentence. Now, what was disappointing to me is some of the stories you had about other bands because I was actually a fan of some of those bands, and I was like, "Oh man, those guys are dickheads." That sucks. Kind of like their music, and you had yeah, like several well, stories. There. You know what? Everybody's a dickhead. You know, if you catch them at the right point or the wrong point in their life, you know <laughs> that's true. And, and uh, <laughs> Also, you know, it doesn't lessen the quality of their music or, or the impact that that may have had on you at, at whatever point in your life. So it, that really shouldn't take anything away. But, you know, the fact is, more often than not, I'm let down by people once I really get to fucking see them. Well, I'm, I'm, kind, I'm kind of a weird. I'm kind of I'm kind of a weird guy in the sense that if I don't. Oh, like, you know, you're I, definitely like, kind of a weird guy. Yes. No, here's what I think I, everybody who knows you can agree on that. But, let me let me yeah. elaborate. Let me elaborate and be more specific okay. about that before people misinterpret that. <laughs> that would have been Las Vegas. That could be interpreted a lot of ways. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Way. yeah. He's in the furries I, I, and everything. <laughs> yeah. 
No, folks, I don't go to the green door, just uh, just for full disclosure. <laughs> That's another story. All right, now so, so the green door now. <laughs> oh, yeah, go Google it, man. It's entertaining. But here's here's where I'm going is that if I'm a fan of someone and then I meet them and they're a total dickhead, I can't be a fan anymore. Yeah. Just like yeah. if I have customers, like like in business, in business, like people in the fitness industry, you want to talk about how Paris would have sucked your dick. People in the fitness industry, they'll, they'll fucking take <laughs> I would actually rather not uh, talk about that, be it true or not. But. <laughs> people, people in the fitness industry will endorse anything to make a few bucks. We see it left yeah. and right. They, they yeah, will fucking sell their soul, whatever's left of it, in a heartbeat. Now, my take is a little bit different. I I don't just want a lot of people buying my products. I want people I like buying my products because I don't feel good about someone who's an asshole buying one of my supplements and benefiting from it. I don't want that yeah, person to benefit my products. Uh, I, I want I people you. I like to buy my products. So well, I, I want my customers to be people I could go have lunch with and we'll have a good time. And this sounds maybe somewhat ridiculous or fantastical to people, but my attitude is I don't like the idea of people I don't like benefiting from my work. Bro, whether it's I, video, I, I, or I have to chime in on that because I have experienced that in such a ridiculous degree simply because of the type of music I play. You know, yeah. there's a lot of real assholes who like the Chrome eggs. And it's <laughs> it's really as much as it's like a, a you know a great success for me a success story when somebody like you is inspired by the music, or like that guy whose wife died, you know yeah. finds some sort of uh, uh, finds some sort of you know place to release that you know there's a lot of good but right. then you also because of the nature of the music and the aggression of the lyrics and this and that you will also get a lot of real assholes involved in it people who just think they're hard asses, people who want to fight, you know, fucking you'll get skinheads that are like Nazis, you know, you'll get some real assholes. And especially after all that Webster Hall shit and, and you know, over the years of all the uh, gangs that have started to pop up throughout the hardcore scene, uh, like across yeah. the country and worldwide, I started having real issues because yeah. more and more, I love to play the music that I play, but I fucking can't stand the people I'm playing it to. Yeah. And yeah. that shit is fucking, it's hard. It's hard to feel yeah. good when you're playing. This. I remember times, you know, shit back in, even back in the day, though. Only difference is back in the day, I was a lot more violent myself, so I was able to deal with it. Like, I could handle it, you know. I remember one time playing at Lemoore's and watching a friend of mine in the audience, fucking someone fucking singing the lyrics to one of my songs, comes over and punches him in the face mm. and starts pounding him out. Immediately, I threw my bass to the side and dove into the crowd and started fucking him up. You yeah. know, and I got back up on stage. and I'm like, motherfuckers, you want to fucking uh, jump people? You know, fucking bring it. Let's go, you know? And, of course, everybody starts uh, applauding and this and that, but... Yeah, man, you know, I understand. Yeah, you don't want, you know, you don't want your shit being uh, turning well, on man, I, that really kind of make you sick. Contrast <laughs> you story, I, I saw you guys at the 930 Club, the old 930 Club in D.C. many times, and I'm happy to say that it was always a positive experience, meaning that no one in the audience got into a fight with each other. Everyone was having a good time. Well, it was I, like, I also, uh, the times that you saw us, we also had our own security. We had, like, guys like Blue and Steve Squint and Rich... And guys who were all like black belts and shit who really liked fighting. 
So, like, usually people did not fuck around at our shows okay. at that point. You know, especially in D.C., because all of those guys were from D.C., and they were actually really feared. No, but there was there was a mythos of don't go to a Chromax show because it's dangerous. <laughs> like, yes, a lot of people yes. were worried no. about it. They're like, oh, shit. People have been telling yeah. me, oh, shit, you're going to No, the it was Watch definitely, out. like, get your ass kicked there. <laughs> yeah, the, the shows were definitely pretty intense. You know, I mean, I, I, that's that's always been. Uh, but it, it was part fun. Of the I mean, it was mutually it was mutually agreed upon aggression, right? It was just fun. No one did this circle pit bullshit either, where everyone's running around and bumping into each other. It was well, just like you know everybody in the mosh pit. Yeah. I remember a lot of real like there were times in the '80s where it really did start getting out of hand, like yeah. specifically when like when the crossover scene started happening and you started having, like, metalheads getting into hardcore. Like, basically, when We Got a No Video started getting rotation on Headbangers Ball on MTV and stuff, you started getting a lot more metalheads and suburban kids and stuff who started coming to the shows. And uh, and also that was when you had the big skinhead shit going on and Geraldo and this and that and everything else. So you had a lot of skinheads at the shows. You had a lot of metalheads and shows who would get beat up by the skinheads and then you started having all kinds of gangs at the gigs like especially out west where you had like suicidal tendencies had their whole gang and you know the v13 dudes and then you had like you know circle circle one or whatever the fuck like there was a lot of gangs so yeah yeah, man i mean some i remember shows where they you know outside there'd be police helicopters and mounted cops you know horses and riot shit like yeah, <laughs> yeah, it had some moments. Uh, Shit, I saw a Chrome X show in D.C. where cops showed up because they were fans in the audience. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Dude, actually, it's really funny. When I went to Rikers, you'd be fucking surprised how many motherfucking people recognized me and knew who I was when I was going through the system. Like, even when I was getting fucking, oh, like... Uh, that, that's a good thing. You don't want to be, you don't want to go there and uh, not have well, some Well, you know, it was a little <laughs> bit of both because it's like, you know, like... the. I was all over the fucking news. So you oh, didn't, okay, you didn't right. want to be the guy who's, like, famous because then everybody wants to get famous by fucking you up. Yeah, right. You know, right, especially right. since especially since the news was, like, making me out, like, you know, Channel 2 called me the White Mike Tyson. You know, I had this dude come up to myself and say, oh, yeah, what's your name, Harvey? Say Harvey. It made you realize, not that I didn't right. realize this before, but it made you realize how bad the news is, man, because I'm a guy well, who not only, really Not well. only that. But but it you know it was pretty it was pretty intense man you know it's like one thing to get locked up and and you go through the system and everything it's another thing to get locked up and have your shit be all over the fucking newspaper and all over the fucking yeah. news and every fucking buddy in there is looking at you when you walk in like you know like they know who you the fucking are you're not just walking in there like okay I'm just another dude you're walking in there and everybody's like oh shit that's that motherfucker we just saw on TV. You know, so yeah. But um, anyway, this has been an interesting conversation, man. Uh, <laughs> we do. We do. What else you guys got for me? I actually got to head to work pretty soon, man. But what else you guys want to fucking talk about before we wrap this up? Because I got about fifteen minutes before I got to start uh, winding out we can, here. We can we can wrap it up pretty soon. We've been on we've been on for a long time. I'm I'm just curious what. 
if you experience negativity just walking around New York City, like you're just walking to work and someone comes up to you and says, oh, you're that asshole who did this. Or, I mean, Actually, what's you my know what? I don't right really, now? you know, I really don't. You know, whenever I do encounter people, it's always really positive. You know, like the other day I went in, uh, to a music store to pick up uh, guitar picks or some shit. And it was weird because this old black dude who's all, you know, gray hair, beard and shit, you know, older dude. He's like, Harley Flanagan? Harley Flanagan? <laughs> Pro mags, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. He's like, I mean, the real pro mags, you know. So it was like funny because he didn't even look like he should really know the fucking genre of music or my band or whatever. But yeah, dude, it happens all the fucking time. Like, it's surprising to me, you know. Like, I'm standing in front of my job the other day, and some fucking young girl in her like early twenties walks by wearing an Age of Coral shirt, and I'm like, you know, she didn't even recognize me, you know. And like, you know, it's like it happens a lot, and. uh you know, I get people do do people people come to Henzo's? Do people come to Henzo's who are a fan of yeah, yours? So yeah, no, like, dude, I get people from other countries. Yeah, it happens a lot, dude. I mean, I get people who are like visiting America from other countries who will come to my job to get like an autograph and take a picture. You know, and uh, you know, again, it's it's you know, it's nice, it's it's flattering. You know, I mean, I, I it doesn't get to my head or anything. It's just you know, it's nice to to know that, you know, that what I did had some meaning, you know? Yeah, I don't get the impression that you're someone who was motivated by wanting to be in that limelight, like wanting to have people come up to you and take photos no, of you. And no, you know what, dude? The, the fact is, is I've always been a musician, like even before. I, right, I've, right. Been, I've been playing music and drawing and, and all kinds of artistic type of things, since I was a little kid, you know, I mean, I was, I've been on stage since before I was, you know, I mean, I've been gigging since I was like 10 or whatever. Yeah, so, you were 10 years old playing in the simulators, yeah. I mean, I think I was like 12 or something when I joined them, but I had been in bands prior to them that had played clubs and toured and stuff. So, I mean, it was really never, it was, it was always just an outlet uh, for me to play music. It wasn't ever something right. to, uh, I wasn't trying to attain fame or, or I was too young to be trying to like, you know, get laid. It wasn't like, you know, most people are like, oh, I was going to band because I was trying to get laid. I didn't, wasn't thinking about getting laid. I was just wanting to play music, you know? So yeah, you know, my motivation has always been just uh, the creative process, really. It was never about all the other shit that goes along with it. And, um, you know, because we have we have people in our industry who clearly are chasing fame, which is kind of laughable because fitness fitness fame is very microcosmic, right? Exactly. You know, when I, when I hear like the word fame, fitness is not the first thing that comes to my mind. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're a fitness person. Yeah, I heard of you. Oh, it's that fitness guy. <laughs> what happens? Is oh yeah, Billy Max. We get people who get a little bit of. We get people who get a little bit of attention, and boy, does it go to their fucking head, man. Now they start well, yeah, thinking they're the, hot that's, shit. That's they the fucking story of New York Hardcore, man. That's the story of New York Hardcore. A bunch of fucking nobodies who all of a sudden got famous in Europe because a bunch of fucking other nobodies <laughs> yeah. fucking made a big deal out of some bullshit. <laughs> no, I've, I've always found attention uncomfortable, to be perfectly honest. Like one yeah. time I was giving a... One time I was giving a lecture at a fitness business summit. This guy, Bedros, promoted it. This is like 2007, I believe. And this is when I just left the Dragon organization. So I was basically reinventing myself. I was reinventing my brand and keeping myself out there, pushing it hard to stay relevant so I don't just get marginalized. So anyway, I, I'm speaking at this event. 
No one knows who the fuck I am because I, I, I came into the event really late, so I wasn't on any of the promotional material. I'm the last speaker on the last day, the worst possible slot you could have because everybody's ready to leave. Everyone's fed up of hearing all these lectures, most of them boring as sin. So anyway, I was telling my girl, Carol, I go, well, what's Sin this? is not boring, by the way. <laughs> That's anyway, what I'm not. It was a bad day. Yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but yeah, continue, please. So, so where I'm going is I was telling her, I was like, look, you know, right now, no one gives a fuck who I am. They're all walking up to the other speakers here trying to get pictures, trying to get little little time from them. No one knows that I'm a speaker, so no one's giving me any attention. I go, I'm going to go up there, and I'm going to fucking destroy. I'm going to be better than anyone who spoke here, which is not a high bar, so I'm not flattering myself too much. But anyway, <laughs> I'm going to go up there and crush it where everyone is going to remember this and everyone's going to say it was the best presentation, period. But just because it's just because I'm, I'm pissed off. I was like, I'm bored here. I'm just going to go up there and destroy. So anyway, I went up there. Long story short, I crushed it, did a really good job. People were lining up to get photos with me afterwards. Same people that just walked right by me an hour earlier didn't give a fuck. Now all of a sudden they're like, oh, you're so motivating. Oh, can I get a picture with you? And in my head, I was kind of like, you know what? Fuck you. I was like, an hour ago, you didn't give a fuck who I was. Now I get up there and I talk a little bit on, on in front of you, and now all of a sudden I'm worth your time. I'm worth your time to come up to you and get a photo with. I'm valuable yeah, now. Yeah, but you know what, dude? If people don't know, they don't know. You know, you got to give them the credit for, for needing to give a fuck, because otherwise, you you know. You, you no, but my it. point once, is once you've made the impact. You should be cool to everyone, not just people you think – are going to benefit you in some way is where I'm going. You know, I'm cool to everybody. I'm cool to the valet guy. I'm cool to the waiter. I'm cool to the postman. You know, I'm just, I'm just cool to Bro, everybody. That's, Not that's, because that's how I try to be. And, and you know what? That's how Henzo is. And, and that's why he's been as successful as he has. Um, you know, I, that's probably why you've been as successful as you have, you know, and uh, me, myself, like you said, I've, I didn't start out because I was looking for fame. So I treat everybody the same when I did my last book signing you know it's like it, what is it really a big deal to take a picture with somebody and smile and you know make them feel good yeah. it's really not that big yeah. a deal you know no no I'm not saying I, I'm not saying I don't want to do any no. stuff I'm not I'm, I'm not one I'm not motivated by it and two I find it somewhat uncomfortable for the yeah, reasons no, I just dude, expressed it's completely uncomfortable but you know this is, the, this is the life we chose you know it, it, there's a certain amount of we have chosen to put ourselves out there, so we got to fucking suck it up. Look, I'll tell you something that people don't know. You know, it's a very uh, not known secret is that I never felt comfortable taking pictures. Like, the whole reason I'm always making crazy faces, especially in the old, old Chromex press pictures, I'm always making crazy faces because the photographers would always be like, okay, guys, uh, you know, do something, you know. And it's like, I always felt so awkward, like, okay, I'm standing here, like, what the fuck do you want me to do, you know? So then I would usually respond by making some insane gargoyle face, like, ah, you know, and they'd always go, yeah, yeah, keep doing that, do that. And then they'd be like, click, 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 click. So that just became my go-to way of dealing with, okay, you're taking my picture. Blah, all of a sudden, I turn into the fucking Grinch or some kind of gargoyle. And it's like, you know what? That's how I deal with the, the okay, here I am. I'm on the spot. Take my picture. You know, what do you do, you know? I'm laughing so hard because so many people copy you. <laughs> you know, you know cool I'm just doing it out of, like, insecurity. Just like, this is uncomfortable. What do I do? Okay, act like an asshole. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know what? Fuck it. You know, uh, people. Uh, people are 
people are just weird, man. Like I said, I'm weird. I'm not the only one. People are fucking weird. That's just what it comes down to. The more people you meet, the more you realize that, you know? Yeah, man. The human race is made up of a bunch of real fucking, real fucked up characters. But you know what? We're all trying. And uh, God willing, we'll all get there at some point, somehow, you know? We're all works in progress. Hopefully we'll sort out our business before we fucking uh, go six feet under, you know? Well, what I like to do is just talk to people in, in Chromex lyrics, just randomly. Hey, what's going on, Mike? I'm, I'm, I'm down. I'm down, but not out. You know, there's still time. <laughs> <That's so. funny>. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, I come in peace, but I'm ready for war. All right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's funny because, you know, you, know who's, you know who's a big uh, fan, and especially of that last record, uh, is Jocko Willink. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And, I've heard and, on the so, show. Yeah, you know, and it's really funny because, again, here's someone who told me, you know, he sent me a copy of his book, Extreme Ownership, and he wrote in it to me, he was like, you know, you and your music helped me through some of the roughest parts of my life, and I just want to thank you. You know, and when you got someone like motherfucking Jocko Willing (laughs) giving you props for, like, they they were talking about a motherfucker who led, like, SEAL Team 7 in, like, fucking Ramadi and shit, like, that, right. You know, this That's is awesome. one of the hardest motherfuckers walking the fucking earth. And he's like, thank you for getting me through some of it. I'm like, whoa, that's humbling. Right. <laughs> to say the it's least. Great. No, it's great that you say it's humbling, though, because a lot of other people, they would let that go to their head, where now they feel like they're a badass, too, because one of their fans oh, is a badass. Oh, dude, are you kidding me? <laughs> exactly. Like, if anything, it, <laughs> it, it motivates me to feel like, you know, I got to step up my game, man. Right, Because right. here I, I, I know, am, I like, know people, making I an impression on someone you. that's, like, in someone who's an intense motherfucker, and he respects me. I, I feel like I got to up my game to, to be worthy of his respect. Right, you know. No, but there, there are there are fitness people that have trained MMA fighters or Navy SEALs, and now they start acting like they're an MMA fighter or a Navy yeah, SEAL. Yeah, it's like, like when Dana White used to take <laughs> privates from like fucking uh, from Matt Hughes and started thinking he was, you know, a fighter instead of a promoter. You know. Well, what's yeah. what's really funny is when people who lift heavy weights somehow thinks that that translates into fighting skill. It's like, no, it doesn't unless you have fighting skill. <laughs> you know, it's two different skill sets, man. Well, well, you're fighting heavy weights. It's, like, it's, it's also <laughs> when like, people, people who focus their, their strength training on, uh, on body physique rather, rather than on actual functional strength. It's like why you'll see like dudes who look, you know, physically really impressive if you measure all their muscle mass and this and that. But then you'll see some big fucking dude who just is a hard worker, you know. Who will pick up like twice the weight, but doesn't have that refined physique? You know, it's fucking. Wow. Well, I mean, there's there's a big difference between training for performance and training for physique composition. Right? That's They're what two I'm saying. Skills. It's like two different types. Like, of bodybuilders, like two- well, bodybuilders, bodybuilders are not trying to be strong. That's not their goal. Some of them are strong as a side effect of their training. Like, I know, but, 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 to, but to the, to but the they're the, not trying to be. To people who don't know any better, they see someone like that and they're like, "Damn, that motherfucker is fucking." It's a good, it's a good deterrent, though. It keeps you out of a lot of trouble. If you look like you can fight, that's almost better than than being able to fight. Yeah, until you come across some motherfucker who's like really a savage, who's like, you know, (laughs) until you come across someone like High and Gracie who sees the biggest motherfucker in the room and targets them. 
I'm gonna fuck you up. <laughs> like, yeah, looking like a badass is great until you actually encounter one, you know. <laughs> and then, well, that's why you should always be a cool dude, you know, that you not walk around Absolutely. like Absolutely. Hey, and you know it's funny because when I was fucking uh, in Rikers, like I did all my working out in myself because I didn't want anybody seeing what I knew or seeing how many push-ups right. I could do or how many squats. Like I'm like, you know what? I'm going under the radar. I didn't even, I tried to keep my tattoos not visible. I'm like, you know what? Yeah. Don't notice me. <laughs> it's not do for you. Yeah, I know. Especially because I got to sit in like a tank top, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, what are you wearing? Yeah, I'm walking around with a blanket over myself and shit. But, you got a but tattoo I look, in your man, bucket head. Yeah, well, you know, you do stupid shit when you're 15. What can I tell you? You know, <laughs> you got to get going, man. Great talking to you. We, we'd love to have you back, man. You're, this is uh, yeah, man. It's been a real <laughs> fucking great time, and uh, I'm really uh, thank you for having me. Um, I'm honored, and uh, and it's been great talking to you guys. I look forward to catching up with you sometime soon again. Sounds good, man. We appreciate it. Where can where can people find out more about what you have going on now? Um, well, you, I have a website, harleyflanagan.com, and um, also, obviously, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and all that stuff, and uh, just so everybody knows, um, yeah, obviously, I put out this record at the beginning of the year that's, you know, it's got a lot of really good reviews and such, so if you haven't checked it out, check it out on iTunes or wherever, and um, my book, Hardcore Life of My Own, which came out just a few months ago, it's it's um, doing well, everybody, everybody seems to like it, and uh, check it out. You know, yeah, it's great. But like again, I just want to emphasize: even if you're not a fan of Harley's music or the Chromags, if you're a fan of just a good story, you're gonna like Harley's book. And it's, it's a you. real page. It's a real page turner. I mean, it's 400 pages, but I think I cruised through it in just a few days, a couple hours. And, and you know what? Went right. For the record, you know, I tried to make it a book that was really telling the story of New York as seen through the eyes of someone living in the, you know, the tough areas and seeing a lot of history. I basically yeah. tried to tell the story of uh, of the city and, and, and the music scene through the eyes of someone who experienced it. And this particular story was a child experiencing it, which makes it a little bit more interesting than all the countless books about the grimy rock and roll scene. You know, this is... Uh, I wanted it to be something that would be like a historically required reading for people who want to know what New York was like during the 70s and the 80s and, and early 90s. And, I, and according to everybody who's read it, who experienced it back then, from, you know, from Anthony Bourdain down to people that I went to school with, they all said yeah. that I really nailed it. So if you want to know what New York was like and what all that crazy shit was like, you know, you'll probably get a kick out of this book. If I were a sociology professor, I would have that book as part of the curriculum. I think that, it's really you know it's, because, brother, because, that, that because it provokes intention. a lot of thought. Yeah, yeah it provokes well, I'm, a lot I'm, of I'm, thought. Thank you. You could, you could provoke a lot of interesting discussions with your students around a book like this. Yeah, that's for damn sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, great, man. Real great talking to you. You have an awesome day, and well, I'll let you know, I'll let you know when this episode is available. Absolutely, man. I'm, I'm looking soon. forward to hearing back from you guys soon. Take care. All right, man. Take you care. take care, Harley. Thank you. Later. All right, so that's HarleyFlanagan.com. He's also on Twitter. Just type in Harley Flanagan in the search button. He's pretty active on there. Yes, Harley F. Yeah, Flanagan I mean, on Twitter. 
Yeah, Harley. Harley fuck. <laughs> Easy to remember. Harley fucking Flanagan. So just that's what the F stands for. You remember that. <laughs> reminded me, just talking to him, reminded me of the show notes you put together when we had Gavin on the first time and we were talking about the Webster Hall incident. And then the show notes, you're like, uh, and we talk about what happened when everything went Flanagan. I was like, that is just too funny, man. Those, those show notes are highly entertaining. The ones you, Sincere does all the show notes, and you do a really good job with it. They're always really entertaining. I always like reading them. Oh, man, that was cool. It's like, as yeah. people can tell, I was kind of fanboying out because I've known Harley for a long time, but he, but he has been such an influence on a lot of things I do. So it was really, I really, I was really looking forward to having him on the show. I've been wanting to getting him on the show a long time ago. So I'm just really glad it came together. And plus, you know, it's kind of cool because it gives everybody a little insight, a little more insight into, to where you are right now, how you got here. Cause you know, people always, the more and more we do these shows, people, they continue to want to know more and more, man. And you know, of course, some things that people just don't want to touch, you know, we, we may touch on things, but they don't, they probably feel like, God, I, re- I really wish they kind of go more in depth on what they were kind of hinting toward, you know, on that right. episode. But I don't want to, I don't want to pry, you know, and, you know, cause I, I've had, you know, sometimes when we talked about personal stuff, like from like my dad and all this other stuff, you know, people just kind of like, yeah, man, you know, I kind of, you know, I was relating to what you were saying, man, you know, even though, you know, you didn't go deep down into it or whatever, but I can get a hint, you know, what it was like, <laughs> and, you know, you know, cause people want to say like, well, damn dude, what happened to your father? You know, you know, they really want to, they want to ask that, but they're like, oh, that's kind of yeah. inappropriate, you know? So, but you know, I'm, I don't care, man. I'm an open book, you know, shit happens. It's fucking life. Things happen. Well, again, I like, like we say, said, it's all about how you respond to it. You can go one way or the other. You can true. end up, you know, being a victim of those cir- circumstances or use that to actually pay it forward. Like Harley was talking about to help others in those because look man at the end of the day it always comes down to this one phrase damn it's not just me and that's what it really yeah. comes down yeah. to man yeah <laughs> you know so well you have a really interesting background i mean you were a dj and then you were a fitness guy and now you're doing the gun training and so firearm training so i mean like uh i remember i was talking i was talking about, oh go ahead oh, go ahead go ahead no, go ahead. No, the crazy stuff is all the stuff that's in between those periods of my life. You know, that, that, you know, a lot of things, you know, to the point, even my wife, who's been with me almost 10 years now, when she gets around some of my friends that, you know, she may have just met or something like that at certain events, and they start talking about stories and things, she's looking at me like, huh? Not this dude. Not him. No, who are you talking about? And they're like, oh, you have no idea about, you know, who, who your husband really is or, you know, the things that, you know, he's done or whatever. It's just like, you know, I've done a lot. I've done a lot in 34 years, man. You know, I always tell people, you got you to gotta live, man. Just live. And that's the reason why now they look like, you know, she's like, well, now you just like to stay home. Just like Harley says, like, dude, I've done so much, you know, from being in that industry at such an early age. That it's just like, I just want to stay home a lot of times because I've been out. I've seen things. I've done things. I've, you know, done. It's, it's enough, you know, at this point now, you know. And the cool thing is, even when I do like staying home, I'm still getting out and I'm still living my life, and, you know, and, and going from there. So it's not like I'm just like, God, I just, I'm living for Friday like a lot of folks do. You know, I'm living for the weekend. It's like, shh. To my everyday is my weekend. You know, it's up to me to make it that way. Like, hell, I don't dread Mondays. Just like someone had pointed out, people always talk about how much they hate Mondays. But trust me, if someone decided that the work week started on Thursday, everybody would hate fucking Thursdays. Right. <laughs> you know, Friday or whatever, about. whatever the day is. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It doesn't matter what day like, it would like be. You don't, you don't hate. Yeah, you don't hate Monday. You hate what you chose to do on Monday. And I say chose <laughs> exactly. because you're, you're choosing to do it. No one's making you do it. You're choosing to exactly. do it. Exactly. <laughs> I always laugh when people say, you know, 
Like, like for example, when when my dog Rabia passed away, like I I always want to make sure I'm honest to myself and I say, yeah, I chose to put her down because she didn't just pass away on her own. I had to make that decision. Right. So it's like you know she didn't just pass. I had to facilitate her passing because otherwise she would have just suffered unnecessarily. Exactly. Exactly. It's important that you frame it in your mind honestly. And I think a lot of people and just. Just don't do it. They're like, I have to go to do this. I have to do this. It's like, no, you're choosing all of those things. You don't have exactly. to do any of those things. Exactly. Unless you're, unless you're at Rikers Island, you know, where you got like prison guards and the warden telling you know, yeah, you, you know, <laughs> that's different. You know, you're in a concentration camp or something like that. But, you know, but these other folks out here in the free world, even though you try to try to act like you don't have much freedom or whatever else, like, no, you have that freedom of choice. Even then, if somebody's putting a gun in your head, you still have a choice. He's like, you know, right. you can either bow down or get shot. You know, you say, you know what, just shoot me. And a lot of times it's still out of your control. Even when you bow down, they still decide to take you out. You know, so, yeah, man, right. it's, it's right. the choice is people have more more freedom and control than they really realize. And I think that's what sucks for a lot of people when they do realize they're like, damn, I can't blame this on anyone but me. Yeah. To my soul. I mean, you can either blame too much or relinquishing, It's too much relinquishing of responsibility. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly. always going to get you in trouble when you don't take ownership for your actions and the results of your actions or or lack of action. It's just a re- relinquishing of responsibility, and that's never going to result favorably for you. It, it, it's, it's so crazy. Um, you know, I got a, like a text. I'm not going to go in detail. You know, my wife sent me the other day, just like this issue she was going through, or whatever else. And you know, most guys sit there and you know try to. You know, like, oh, it's going to be okay, baby. I'm here for you, blah, 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 blah. But I'm like, that's not going to help her situation. I just reply back with a simple text like, you know, daily life choices and actions. Tell me, you either choosing yeah. life or you choosing death mentally, emotionally, you know, and physically. Either way, it's always your choice. That was my reply. And she yeah. was grateful for that. She's like, gosh, thank you so much. I need those doses of reality every now and then. You know, because a lot of times we get caught up in our own shit. And it's real easy to kind of go down that road and lose yourself and just kind of get to a pity party. You know, but then... You just kind of shake yourself back like, you know what, dude? What? It doesn't have to be this way. Yeah, it may not happen right away the way you want it to happen, but you can start taking steps to, toward making it change and, and be better right. or whatever else, man, and get a different right. result. And so, you know, and I think that and here's the thing. I, it gets to that point. It's very easy for me to, to think that way. And when I say easy, it's just like I don't get too caught up in the whole blaming thing. Even when I started to do it, I catch myself and I talk myself out of that shit. Like, ah, 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 ah. nah, nah, fuck that victim shit, dude. Tell me, this is all, this is on you. Or, or, hey, don't get all pissed off because that's out of your control. But here's what you can do. It's, a, it's important me. to check yourself whenever you're, you get stuck into this complaining mode. Like, this used to happen to me all the time where I'd have a bad workout and I'd be really pissed off. I'd be like, God damn it, I can't believe that didn't work out. And then I kid you not. Almost on cue, every time I would complain to myself, I would see a guy in a wheelchair or I would see a guy who's yep. missing an arm or I, you know, I would see some kind of person who's got a serious physical ailment and they're just living their life. I'm like, you know what, man? Stop being shit. such a fucking pussy about this shit. You had a even bad when workout. I see adaptive, <laughs> even when I see adaptive athletes, I'm like, this dude's deadlifting 500 pounds with one leg, okay? <laughs> yeah. like, it's like, And you're complaining because, oh, man. I think I jacked my lower back up a little bit. You know, I'm not going to push it that hard today. I'm going to go take a day off. Like, man, shut the fuck up. <laughs> and, that's, and these are the thoughts I have in my head. Like, just just suck it up, Cupcake, and, and get over yourself. And so, you know, I, one of the reasons why this calibration is a lot easier for me is because I do spend a lot of time on my own, isolated, in silence. 
I'm not afraid to be quiet. I'm not afraid to hear the demons talking in my head and, and eventually tell them to shut the fuck up. <laughs> He's like, okay, you said your piece now, now get the fuck out. That's how I feel about it in my head. And I think and most people listen to that and think, oh, this motherfucker's crazy. Like, no, the ones of you who don't see that as like, hell yeah, you're the one that's going crazy because you're not dealing with your stuff. And it's like, I've, I've had to deal with my stuff all my life. I'm, I don't avoid it. I don't avoid it. I acknowledge it. I'm like, hmm, okay. Well, then there's that. Okay, so now what? Okay, you brought it up. You thought about it. Now what you're going to do with it? And it well, makes that, life so whenever, much better that way. It makes it so much no, better so that true. way. That's why whenever someone doesn't want to do sensory deprivation training, like a float chamber, they don't even want to try it. It makes you wonder, what are you worried about? What are you hiding from? What thoughts are you suppressing that you think are going to come to the surface where you can't ignore it anymore? Because there's nothing else to do in there but focus on your thoughts. That's all you can do. Exactly. there's no escape just like people like i don't like meditating why because you don't like what you hear (laughs) you know (laughs) you don't like the things that come to mind this is like you know that right there should make you meditate even more it's like whoa damn it's boring like like, no you're boring that's the problem exactly (laughs) you're boring so that when you're alone with yourself you're like shit i'm boring as fuck (laughs) yourself is like damn i want to get out of here man like you don't have a better body for me and somebody (laughs) I want to upgrade. Yeah, people are so, that's why people are so addicted to entertainment and listening to other people's stories because they're bored with themselves. That's a problem. You should have an interesting story, then, too. And even then, I stopped and was like, that's not entertainment. That's a distraction. So I stopped lying. Yeah. Quit, just because you put sprinkles on shit, it's still shit. And it's still not sweet. <laughs> okay? You know, don't sit there trying to sugarcoat it like, oh, it's, it's just entertainment. It's just a reality show. It's just TV. Oh, live a little. Like, yeah, but you do it a lot. So you're not, that's not a little. It's like, no, man. It is what it is. It's a distraction. And just, what's just admit it. About people, yeah, what's interesting about people that paint this picture of a perfect life on their social media page? It's not interesting at all. It's boring and it's fake and we know it's not authentic. So it, it irritates <laughs> us on multiple levels. We know you're not authentic. We know your life's not that perfect. And no. it's boring as shit. And the reality is, and the worst part is when you meet them in real life, and you're like, yep. To my, you confirmed everything I already thought about you. <laughs> I knew you were boring as all fucking dri- like dripping paint. I just knew it, man. Even even dripping paint's a little bit more interesting because then I start getting into the whole physics aspect of it. I start looking at the science of it. So that even dripping paint and watching paint dry is actually more exciting because it's it's just it's this process too, and it's honest. Whereas these people are not honest. It's just like, come on, man. Don't don't try to play the role. Like, yeah, now I, I get if you have good days and you you want to share things on social media. I get that, but when Everything you share is just so hunky fucking door and you have no problems. No, even when you just have an issue where you, let's just say you had a bad workout. You're like, Hey, today, you know, this is how it went down and you know what, blah, blah, blah. And you know, I'll, I'll work on it next time. Show people that you're human, not perfect. Cause that's the thing about it. You can't be both. You can't be both. Well, I mean, even I, I put up a post on Facebook the other day, just having fun, but it's actually a very truthful, but I was just having fun. I basically said that you're more likely to win the lottery or get struck by lightning than find a fitness chick on Instagram that doesn't have a picture of her ass. (laughs) (laughs) I got all these likes on there, but no one's commenting because people don't want to fucking comment. You get slack. You know, they they probably have a girlfriend at home or a friend is like, don't you dare. You know, uh, like that comment or post. I'm too busy going to get a lottery ticket right now. <laughs> so on that note, <laughs> I need to get that Powerball number in, man. Damn. <laughs> but what what I was waiting for is some fitness girl to say I don't. But guess what? No one. Oh, did. that is, nah, they can't do that. Well, first no of all, here's did. the problem with that. You posted that, so they're they're not gonna do that because they know you're gonna be like, uh, really? 
<laughs> you know, whereas it could have been some other dipshit. It could have been some other dipshit who, who's just trying to sound profound. You know, and we know people in the fitness industry who try to make, you know, these these polarizing posts like that just to start up some stuff, try to get some stuff started in the comment section. And they, okay, don't, just, actually believe, they don't actually believe what they post. They just want to post that just to try to get a reaction, try to make it seem like their page is really busy. Now, if they would have posted yeah. that. Then some fitness people were like, oh, not me. And then that person would have been like, well, I wasn't talking about you. But and then you got this just long line of pandering going on. So there, there's a difference right there. So I think they kind of knew better. Oh, what's, <laughs> what's funny is uh, people... Like someone like Sabina Scholar, a friend, she she had some fun with this. She's like, uh, yeah, she's like, yeah, even I can't say I don't have a picture of my ass on Instagram because even I do. She's like, but I'm not offended. <laughs> and I, was like, I was like, I was like, you know what? You're a strength coach. You're a high level strength coach. We'll give you a pass. It's okay. You're not trying to use that photo to promote your business. You don't, you don't have the illusion that you're going to get more customers as a result of that pic. Exactly. Either, it's, so just, it's okay. It just so happened we'll your you ass pass. popped up in a picture. Okay, that's all it was. <laughs> it's, it's a part of your body. I mean, damn. I mean. <laughs> But when it becomes a superstar, when it becomes when is it, when it, when your ass has its own Instagram page, that's a problem. Okay. <laughs> oh man, well, some of you people know we're talking about you when your ass has its own its own own account, where it's just like oh, we never see your face; it's just your ass all the time. <laughs> oh man, it's so true. Yeah, I just have fun with shit, though, but it's kind of funny to see what people respond to because here's the sad part. I got more likes and focus on that that inane, purposely silly post than I did talking about what Ty Ritter and Project Child Save are trying to do, You know why you should donate $10 to help save kids. It's like no, no one liked – I mean, like two people liked that. Nobody commented on it. Nobody right. shared it. Nobody well, said, it's hey, crazy. But, and, it, and it's the same people that liked it, that, you know, that liked before, which I know for sure these people have donated so it's kind of it's like the choir stepped in, you know, just like I, it would be nice to see some new names and saying like, hey, and by the way, I donated, you know. So it is the the people that I heard from pretty much these were the ones who donated before, and the text that you and I had going back and forth, you know, you know, as an update from what happened with the campaign that Ty was trying to raise for this for that mission that's coming up in a couple of weeks. When you brought up that, you know, there's probably some people that probably went ahead and you know, donated like a hundred bucks. Well, I had a few people, they, it's funny right on that day, I didn't bring it up. They messaged me and let me know like, you know what? I went ahead and stepped up for 10 people. (laughs) I had at least two people that said the exact same thing. Like, you know what? I stepped it up for 10 people, man. And I was like, well, damn, there you go. That's awesome. So, yeah, yeah, man. I mean, we we have a, we have a, we have a listener who donates 500 bucks a month, not just one time, but every month he's doing that. So that's really stepping up. Yeah. So that's awesome. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes you just have to, you can't ask people nicely all the time to do shit because they just ignore it. So sometimes you just got to hit people over the head a little bit. And that's what I did. I said, look, man, basically, if you don't support this, then you should be ashamed of yourself. That's what I said in one post. I was like, because this is a cause that shouldn't be difficult to get support from. So my attitude is if you're like, you know what, I don't care about kids that are going through the worst suffering that well, you can look. imagine. Well, what, is that? what does that say about you? Well, I mean, when I posted, when I actually, when the text that you posted on the fan page, I copied it. But before that, you know, and I shared it on my page and on my uh, my other fan page. But before that, I said, it, I said, if you had, I made it to the point where it made it impossible for you not to. I said, if you had, if you have kids of your own, have kids in your family, know someone with a child, you've seen a child in real life, or you've been a child, then it would behoove <laughs> you to help our friend Ty Ritter and his team go out and do, do what they've like done for the past four years. Exactly. Like, so basically, you could possibly imagine. Exactly. So otherwise, you, to my, well, you're just an asshole at this point. So, <laughs> I mean, well, I mean you're right? Yeah, yeah, you are. I'm like, I mean, honestly, 
Because I'm just like, you know, honestly, there's just no way, to my, even when you don't think this, this affects you, it does. In some shape, form, or fashion, it affects all of us some way, somehow. <laughs> just like I used to tell people, I said, well, like obesity, I'm like, look, man, if you're, if, to my, you should be interested in people getting healthy. And, and, and especially in the fitness industry and not worrying about trying to do all these crazy gimmicks or whatever else. Because at the end of the day, you're going to have to pay for all those gimmicky things that you're selling people on. It's because at the end of the day, when people remain, un- first of all, you're trying to go out and be the celebrity trainer and you want to ignore all these other common everyday people that need your help and they want your help. But you're like, nah, I only train celebrities. I'm like, dude, you're going to pay for that. You know how you're paying for that? Your fucking insurance is going up because this person's unhealthy. They want to get, they want to get healthy and want to work with you, but you don't want to work with them. And you wonder why your fucking taxes keep going up. You're paying for that. You're paying for that. No, you just hold them because you want to go train some celebrity who's not probably going to pay you much. You know, they're going to expect stuff for free because all they can say is like, well, you can tell everybody you train me and that's helping you with your business. Come on, man. So you got to think about those types of things. You're affected by that. So you, all the stuff that, that ties and his team are trying to do and stop. It affects us all some way, somehow, because here's the deal. Yeah, it hasn't happened to your kid, but the thing is, the more and more that these fuckers get away with doing what they're doing, one day it could be yours or your grandkids or your great-great-grandkids or somewhere down the line, you know. So it's going to affect you some way, somehow. So, hey, man, if it's going to affect you, I mean, at least you step in and be a hero with Ty, you know, and help those guys go and do the dirty work. Go do the things that most of us wouldn't, wouldn't even do, you know, so... Yeah. Exactly. But it's also funny, I put up another post because I noticed that when I sent out the episode with Ty, I had 200 people unsubscribe probably within minutes, right? And I, I looked From at your I said, you know what? Don't, yeah, I, so I basically said, look, don't take stuff like that personally because that's a positive thing. I don't want people benefiting from all the free information I put out or from my products who don't care about helping Ty's organization. Right. So my attitude is good riddance to you 200 motherfuckers who are worthless anyway. You're not buying anything from me. You're not supporting my business or the show or even helping Ty's organization. I don't want you on my fucking list. I don't want you benefiting from any facet of my work whatsoever. So good riddance. I mean, you definitely, you know, even though you don't have a lot of control, I can see where Harley was going with that, but I can see your point as well. It's like you definitely want to aim to have a customer base that is a reflection of your values. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. because that's the reason why half this country is pissed off right now. Because <laughs> right now, <laughs> half the country really? bought a product that is not a reflection of the other half of the country's values. And now they're <laughs> pissed off, you know. But the thing is, you, you, a lot of you chose not to, to sit there and participate. <laughs> so, and, you know, it was, it was beyond, it was above your pay grade in the first place. So I get it. So I truly understand this. Like, I don't want a bunch of, I don't want an asshole, a pedophile, or someone like that walking around buying my stuff and bragging yeah, about exactly. it. Some people are like, yeah, man, I love to see Sharia doors, blah, 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 blah. Every time I get rid of did a little kid, I have a cup of coffee, you know, with Sharia door. No, I would take that Sharia door, break it apart, and stick it up your candy ass is what I would do. Exactly. Dude. And don't ever buy another product from me, ever. <laughs> you know, so that's, I don't, I don't I want don't, some dude, I don't want, I don't want some dude who's abusive to women buying my testosterone. No, hell no. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't want some woman. I don't want some woman who's an a hole. You know, buying my estrogen blocker. So I mean, but you know what? You, you, I, obviously, I can't control every. I, obviously, I don't know every single person that's bought my stuff, and I can't, I can't categorically say they're all good people. Obviously, I have no control over that. But what I can do is put myself out in a very authentic exactly. way, so that I attract people that like that message, and then the people who are not a fit are repelled by it, and that's all done on exactly. purpose. Exactly. So many people are worried about losing business. It's like you know, you, there's some business you don't want. 
Or, you know, just don't don't try to be all things to everyone. You don't want to be around everyone. You don't want everyone to be connected to you in certain ways. I mean, yeah, we're all connected as humans or whatever else, but sometimes that's as far as you, a lot of times it's not even human, some of the stuff they do. You know, but you just kind of want it to end right there. It's just like, oh, man. Because I know I walk around a lot of times, I see some some dipshittery that people do, and they call themselves human. You know, and I'm just like, God, I just wish you just kind of just take yourself out of the equation. You know, (laughs) because there are a lot of people suffering, and you are not helping. In fact, you're making it worse, and you don't even care. So, yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, so that, there's there's the business one on one right there. Don't be all <laughs> things to all people because all all people are not gonna be great in the end. They may have started out great as a child, but a lot of them grew up and became adults. Well, I mean, you never you never wanna <laughs> you never wanna op, you never wanna operate from a scarcity mindset, whether it's in the context of business or any other facet of your life. It's never a positive thing. Well, the thing is, you will be operating from that that uh, that standpoint because you're gonna get exactly what you're focused on. You're, 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 you're gonna, gonna be fo- living it. <laughs> exactly, like you know, that's like, what, that's you, what you, you operate on, from. Yeah, you, you focus on not, you know, like I gotta have it all. I, well, I'm, I'm gonna lose it all. I'm gonna lose it all if I don't do this. Well, you're losing it all because you're doing all that other stuff. So uh, the only thing is, the only you're focusing on losing it all, not anything that you say after that. All you hear is lose right. it all, lose it all, lose it all. <laughs> so. That's the only issue. So don't worry about that. Yeah, you may think like, well, if I dial down and just focus on this one niche, then it's not going to be enough. Oh, it'll be enough. It'll be enough. Because first of all, what is enough in the first place? It'll be it'll be enough <laughs> if it's a niche that you actually care about because your enthusiasm exactly. will come through. If it's a niche that you think is just going to make you money, then it's not going to work. But if it's a niche, like I didn't get into selling supplements to make money. I got into supplements because I've been a supplement fan since I was a teenager. I've always been intrigued by it. So it's just an extension of that. It does well because I've created great products because of my enthusiasm, and I want people to get good stuff. I've been screwed over by a lot of shitty companies just like everyone else who's ever bought supplements, and I don't want people to have that experience with me. But it comes from a place of genuine interest. So everything you do should come from a place of genuine interest. You never want to go, okay, what's going to make me money, and then act on that. <laughs> right. You know? That's a, yeah, that's a bad start. <laughs> what's going to make me money? Uh, whoring? <laughs> uh, being a being a stripper at a gay nightclub, you know, that maybe you know, that hey, that's a start. <laughs> but I don't know. I you know with all these, with that, it's, it's, what you do. It's a lot, of, but here's the thing. To my here's the thing. But in that industry now, being fit is you know coming a dime a dozen. So I don't know. The market might be a little oversaturated. So you may not even make a lot of money in that anymore. You know, if it had been the '70s or the '80s where everybody kind of looked like Ron Jeremy, then yeah, you probably do okay. But now every every fucking person in the adult industry is ripped and cut and everything, man. Just like so. Well, now now you can be a chubby chaser. You can be a target for chubby chasers as a way to create a niche. You know. <laughs> See, there you go. <laughs> It's always a solution, people, if you just put your mind to it. <laughs> hey, what do you do? You like to eat? Well, here's a, here's a great way you can keep on eating and keep looking the way you look and make, and, and benefit from it. You, know? <laughs> you don't need to lose all weight to make yourself more marketable. You're marketable the way you are. You just got to find the right audience. You, know? <laughs> you got to stop being greedy and trying to get everybody, man. Like, see, that's that's why you got it. Greed, greed is what, come on, man, really? <laughs> oh, man. That's when we know we've been on. We've been talking way too long now. <laughs> I got. I got to stop taking this kratom before episodes, man. Oh, dude, I got some Saturday <laughs> night. I, I I got it. I finally got some. Actually, I went to a Kava bar here in Houston. Went to a Kava bar. Oh, cool. And which uh, and which actually did you get? 
Um, I got the white strain and the and the green one, the one that you have, the Mong Day. Yeah, yeah, the Mong Day yeah. is good. That's the one that's yeah. more stimulatory. I got both. Yeah, I got both. The white, so. the, white, the white one is actually more stimulatory as well. So those are both uh, the more Yeah, just a little bit. Okay. <laughs> 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 but here's the thing. You know, I saw, you know, I did it. I took it on the stomach. You know, this was how like much, Saturday. How much, how much did you take? How, how much did you take? I took about a half a teaspoon because it was my first one. Okay. That's, that's a good, yeah, that's a good start. Yeah, I knew better. I, I did my research. I was like, I'm not going full teaspoon on the first one, dude. But even then, and then we ended up going to an Ethiopian restaurant probably about a couple hours later, probably right when it was kicking in. So then I started having um, this, this wine they have there, this fermented wine. It's called Honey Wine. And we know the owner, and she loves it when we come by. And so she just started sending bottles. You know, just kept sending me some. Usually I drink one and I'm good. She just kept sending them on the house. And I had like three of them. So I just know by the time, by the time we left, I was like, okay, I have not felt like this in a long. I was still like in control. I said, wow. I said, this stuff is kicking in. And I was like so damn alert. So you would think that drinking that, you know, you'd be more relaxed. You'd be calm, you know, just mellowed out. But like, dude, it just like strengthened. I was just like, Seeing everything like I was just on point with everything. Conversation to the point. Paulette yeah. was like, "Wow." Yeah. Paulette was like, she was looking at me. She's like, "Okay, I need, I need that stuff during the." I said, "No, you don't need this because you're already alert. I'm the one that's usually." <laughs> yeah. I was just like, you know. I said, "But the thing was, I wasn't jittery, but I was like so damn focused." But it sucked because no, it makes you I didn't really have. I didn't really need to be focused that time. I was trying to relax and just have a nice little date night, <laughs> you know. So, you know, I was yeah, just like, damn. So focused, focused and relaxing at the same time. Is yeah, my exactly. Well, yeah, it's when it was done. Oh yeah, when it was done, I was kind of like, whew, yeah. You know, I was good. Like, okay, that was cool. That was a cool experience. Now, a couple of nights before, I had some kava. Now that right there was beautiful because I haven't had kava in years, and I don't think I think at the time That's I was doing it wrong. Uh, yeah. yeah, man, I was. I was like walking the dogs after we left that bar when we got back home. We left that copper bar. I was walking the dogs and the dude, I was just kind of like just floating through the hallway, but it was just like, I was so mellow. It wasn't like I was high, but it's like, I'm pretty sure if you've done some hallucinogens or something like that, that's probably how you would feel with just without control. Like I was just, like I was just chill, you know, the entire time, man. It's like, I said, this is awesome. Well, dude, Especially when I, when I drive. When I drive on Cranum, I feel like Neo in the Matrix. I just feel yeah, like I can exactly. see five steps ahead. Well, that's what I, I was like, man, I, I was like, man, I'm in this awesome flow state drive. Like I'm weaving and curving. I see, I can see yeah. like five moves ahead. What to do? It feels exactly. awesome. Exactly. So I was going. I went to the range yesterday, and I thought about. It. I was like, you know what? I said I might actually take it before we do the show. And so I, I so I went ahead for for went having it last night when I went to the range. Now I'm still going to do IDPA tonight. Then I'm probably going to take it because one thing I noticed about the show today, I was like, well, we got Harley coming on. That's going to be just these stories and everything else is going to be like stimulating enough, you know. And so it's not like he's a boring guest or anything like that. No. So, so I, I was like, yeah, I didn't really. I, I already know we have our mic issues as it is, you know, because I know like you yeah. on Hangouts because your mic pretty much like it cancels us out on the other end. So I know people, I, I saw some dipshits on YouTube, like, oh, this other guy, man, I just really wish you wouldn't talk over everybody. Like, okay, first of all, you're on YouTube. Listen, you're listening to the show for free on YouTube. You're like the really bottom of the bottom feeders here. You know, it's like you're not even going on iTunes or Stitcher or anything like that. So you're going beyond free. So no opinion from right. you. I'm sorry. You know, so, and I've never even heard of this dude. Of course, I had an anonymous name and no picture. So, of course, fuck off. You know, because I can't, you yeah, can't even have someone on Patreon. Someone on Patreon, I'll listen to you, but someone who doesn't exactly. just listen to the show here and there, they're a casual listener that's never supported. I don't really care what you have to say. And, we can't, and you don't have a real name or a picture of yourself, so I'm just like, yeah, you're you're kind of like a fart in the wind right now. You're so irrelevant. 
to me, it's just like it happens. It's like I smell the stench and I walk the other way. That's how I feel about anonymous little keyboard warriors. But, you know, but getting back to the whole mic issue. So when you hear that, people, I know you're probably like, damn, you know, what's going on? It's just the fact that, you know, mics on Hangouts. The only thing I don't like about Hangouts, sometimes they can sound very staticky on my side. That's why I don't use it. So I'm still using well, Skype. Well, I'm, act- so, I'm, actually I'm actually on Skype myself, so I think it's... Okay, so you're on I Skype this time? I'm on Skype this time. I've been on Skype the last several shows because I was okay. hoping that would help. But I think it's yeah. more the fact that we're all on Skype. We're all on different connections into a conference network. Yeah, so, so I think it's sometimes, different. Sometimes there's a, slight, there's a slight delay sometimes where I'm trying to interject something, but... The person is feeling that they're hearing it a second after I say it, so they don't right. stop immediately, and so it then it's so then it's just an overlap. So right. I understand that can be irritating to the listener, but I but look you, when someone's talking, we're, we're trying to have a conversation on this show, right? So when someone's making a point and they're about to go in a different direction, you want to steer them back to finish that point. You have to jump in, you have to interject, otherwise they're just giving a lecture. And sometimes right. the nature of the technology is it's going to sound like we're just overlapping and interrupting each other. And there really isn't anything we can do about that because we're not in a studio where there's visual cues, right? You're talking to exactly. someone face-to-face. You can tell when they're trying to make a point or they want you to slow down and things like that. We just can't do that. Exactly. And we're, and we're not doing our podcast with video. You know, We're looking at each other on camera and all that, which is I, – I never understood that. Like, I'm going to watch my talk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, if I want to do that – then next time I'm in Vegas, we'll record an episode or whatever else. And then, yeah, yeah. You'll, you'll hear the big difference in the way that we interact on the mic because we're in the same room together. <laughs> but other than that, I don't want to watch you talk to me during the podcast. I'm like, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> and, and it's not, it doesn't add any value to the listener, the three of us no, in doesn't. three different areas. I mean, come on, if anything, it's kind of irritating. Exactly. Well, most of the listeners are not going to be, they're not going to be able to watch anyway. They're listening, you know, while they're out doing whatever they're doing. So whether they're working out or they're driving or they're, or they're walking or whatever else, they don't have time to sit down right. and look at someone. And we're not doing anything. It's not like we're teaching anything or teaching some moves or something like that. And I can see, like, like in Tim's case, when he does a Google Hangout, he shows examples. of You know, he's there at his, you know, he's there at his gym. He's showing things or whatever else. Our friend Tim Larkin at Target Focus right. Training. He's showing things while he's talking. So it's, it's interactive. So that's why you got to, like, make sure you set aside a certain time and be there to watch it then or whatever else. But just to sit there, we're just having a conversation like we're doing now. And you just, it's going back and forth. I'm like, oh, there's Mike. Oh, there's Sincere. Oh, there's Mike. Oh, there's Harley. Uh, and then after a while, you get over it because it's not a TV show. <laughs> it's not right. a TV show. You know, so, yeah, man. So, anyhow, on, on, on that note, <laughs> here's what you can do now. Head over to both our websites. Go to newwarriortraining.com. Use that coupon code LLA. Get 10% off all the products over there that you can purchase, whether it's the wellness code book, digital, hardcore, hardcore. See, that hard on the show. <laughs> Hardcover. You know, if you want to get that, the DVD, all those things, man, use that coupon code LLA. Get 10% off. What about you, man? Yeah, same thing. Go to MikeMahler.com, AggressiveStrength.com, the other link you can use. Use that coupon code LLA. Go get 10% off everything you see there. The best nutrition supplements, ebooks, videos, you name it. Lectures on how to make six figures in a down economy, how to optimize hormones. There's a wide variety of stuff to take advantage of with that coupon code. But following what we talked about in this episode, if you're an a-hole or you're a prick, don't support my business. I don't want you buying anything on there. This is a little reverse psychology. If someone's going to try to, well, fuck you, Mike. I'm going to go buy something. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
<laughs> so I, I, I don't want you buying anything from me if you're an a-hole or a prick or you're a bully to someone, you think you're all that, you're stuck up, you're arrogant, you're a jerk off to people in your life. Don't buy my stuff. It's not for you. <laughs> uh, ditto. <laughs> so, yeah, other than that, folks, you can head over to Stitcher, iTunes, leave a review, rate us, share the episode on social media, all that good stuff. And make sure that you head over to patreon.com slash LLA podcast and get your hands on those premium episodes. But you have to be a Absolutely. monthly supporter of Patreon to get access to those episodes. And um, plus, yeah, man, a little little plug, little plug for that. Speaking of kratom, we're going to have Anthony Roberts come on, who is very well researched in this herb kratom that we're just talking about here. And he's yeah. going to go into detail about the purpose, the uses of this, the pros and cons of this, which strain for which for which outcome you want. Which, and guess what? Yeah. It's only going to be for Patreon listeners. Mm-hmm. This is not going to be free to the masses. This is going to be our first mm-hmm. guest who is going to be for the Patreon supporters only. And this is going to be the beginning of many guests. We're still going to do two free episodes with guests, as we always have. But we're going to start having guests on the premium episodes, giving us very precise information on extremely interesting topics. And if you're not a member or a subscriber, you're not going to hear it. Exactly. All right. So there you go, folks. So go take care of that right now. All right, and we'll catch you all. Catch you all. See, I'm being interrupted. Somebody's at my door right now. (laughs) We'll catch you all in the next episode, folks. All right. Take care, everybody.